Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 290. I know there's a lot going on in the world. Um, it's difficult, man. It's, it's, things are feel crazier than ever, and I understand the gravity of uh, 2020 and how hard it's been for a lot of people. And I just I hope you're doing well. I hope your family's doing well. I, uh, I try to be as honest as I possibly can about everything going on because I understand that the reason why this show works is because of you guys watching, listening, helping on Patreon. Every little, uh, every view, every voice, every person watching and listening matters to this show and makes it possible. So I want to say thank you so much. Um, and I want to just be honest that the last couple of days I've had to do somewhat of a mental reset. I just, I, 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 I was tired. I had a lot of stuff gone on in my head and, um, I, I just have had to kind of take a step back and remind myself why I do this show. I, I mean, I, I love football. I love making content. I love sports. I love Formula One. I love um, talking about stuff. And I think I've let a lot of outside voices kind of get inside my heart and my head. And uh, I'm learning how to handle all that. And so I, uh, I don't know. I, I just uh, I, I feel re- refreshed and rejuvenated. And I think uh, it was kind of a necessary impasse the last couple of days to take some time off and uh, it wasn't intentional, never is. Um, a lot of this stuff feels like spring cleaning because I have so much content I've been sitting on for a while, like all week. Like the Cowboys, I, I am desperate to talk about what happened with the Browns and the Cowboys. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I just want to say thank you. I hope you're doing well. Yesterday, I got on the phone with a guy named Marcus, and uh, what a fun time that was. Marcus is also known as that franchise guy. Really, Marcus Whitman. I had a fun conversation with him. That'll be later during the show. We talked for like... 45 minutes, like absurdly long. It's funny. I keep trying to do my, my favorite radio hosts as a kid growing up had people on for 15 minutes. And I keep saying like, come on for 15 minutes. And then guests come on. And I feel bad because I, I take 45 minutes of their time. And I, I don't know what to do because we just talk and it's so fun. I love talking about sports with people that I think are fascinating and interesting. Uh, Tom Grassi and I talked about the NFC North for 45 minutes. That's going to play later in this episode. So I just, I want to say like I, uh, I'm excited for what I have to share today. It's interesting. Like a lot of stuff has happened in the last week and a half. Um, I'm probably not going to talk about college football. I will say that Kyle Trask, uh, Kyle Trask, the quarterback at Florida. The only thing I probably wasn't going to say about college football, I was going to say that I'm not going to say this week. Like Texas lost, Oklahoma lost. They play this week. It'll be interesting. Alabama doesn't interest me personally. They just. Uh, their quarterback, Mac Jones, feels like A.J. McCarron. I go, ah, I don't really care. But Kyle Trask, the quarterback at Florida, keeps playing better and better and better and better. And I'm like, I, it's hard to ignore at this point. And his arm talent concerns me. But I also look at a guy like there's a really famous quarterback named Peyton Manning who had not a great arm and was very highly successful in the NFL. So my, my question is how much does arm talent matter? I think it matters quite a bit. But I will also point out that if you are tenacious enough and you pay attention to detail enough, you can overcome that. So Kyle Trask is a guy that you got to keep on your radar. I'm going to talk about the North Dakota State quarterback in the next episode. He has declared for the NFL draft. What a wild time. I don't know if that's the right decision. We'll talk about uh, Trey Lance tomorrow you know, when we talk about the Buccaneers and NBA Finals, which I think you're going to conclude tonight. I want to start today by talking about the Cleveland Browns 
and the Dallas Cowboys. It seems like old news. I don't care. I find it incredibly compelling, incredibly interesting. On Sunday, the Cleveland Browns beat the Dallas Cowboys. And there's a lot to be said about this game. I personally learned a lot of information from watching what happened. We're going to talk a minute about the we're going to talk in a minute about the Dallas Cowboys, but I want to start with Cleveland because I find them incredibly compelling, incredibly interesting. They're 3 and 1, which is really cool. And first of all, I love this. I love Cleveland. Cleveland's been a city that has struggled for a long, long time. So anytime we watch Cleveland have success, I go, "Oh, yes." Like, holy crap, that's crazy. It feels like the little engine that could. And I don't know how anybody can really hate or root against Cleveland unless you're in their division and you play them every year or you hate their fan base, which I, I don't go to. I, I have no idea. I don't really I, – I'm kind of a non-bipartisan person. I try to be. And uh, we're only four games in, but it feels like the new coach, the new general manager, it's going incredibly well in Cleveland. Things are off to a great start. And I think it seems like – it feels like they're turning things around. I mean, Cleveland is figuring out how to win what brand of football they need to play to make it possible, and I just love what they're doing. They ran the ball for 307 yards on Sunday. Miles Garrett, their defensive end, is now a gigantic problem for anybody playing on the offensive line in the NFL. You cannot leave Miles Garrett in a one-on-one situation. I am hoping that the Cowboys did not seem to understand how important it is to not leave Miles Garrett in a one-on-one situation. It's like they didn't take that matchup seriously. He dominated that. And you, let me understand. If you're going to play the Browns moving forward, you got to understand Miles Garrett is going to dominate you if you play him in a one-on-one matchup. It's just not... He needs to have more respect from the NFL. Now, and by the way, he's a former number one overall pick. I mean, it's kind of interesting. A lot of number one overall picks feel like they're disappointing. Or they're like... We talk about busts all the time. Nobody gives people credit when they are a number one overall pick, and they're phenomenal. And Miles Garrett is absolutely phenomenal. And it feels like nobody's really I – don't, I don't know if it, this is how you feel. I've never gotten messages from people saying, can you believe how great Miles Garrett is? I can't, I, nobody talks about him, and he's phenomenal. He, he got a gigantic contract. He looks really, really good. He's 100% panned out, and I love watching him play. Now, I have no doubt that – when Kevin Stefanski, the new head coach of the Browns, was in the running for the Cleveland Browns coaching job, I am certain that even before he was offered the job, he looked at Cleveland and said, I want that opportunity because I believe, I'm sure he looked at that roster and thought, ooh, you know what? I can do a lot with that team. With those players, I can make that work. I'm sure he had confidence going in. And you look at Cleveland right now, they have Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Austin Hooper at tight end. Like, they are rolling. And it is really fun to watch. Cleveland finally got a coach who knows how to use their talent in an effective manner. Hallelujah. It's so awesome. I'm so glad to see it. Uh, There's really only one question left, actually, about the Cleveland Browns, in my opinion. Because they're running the ball well. Their defense is playing better. Miles Garrett is phenomenal. The question is, can Baker Mayfield, their quarterback, use his arm to win when it all depends on him? He's been really efficient this year. The Browns are running the ball really, really well. And it does not feel like a coincidence that the Browns have been better when Baker throws the ball less. And it's weird, 
But at some point, Cleveland's going to run into a team where their dynamic running game is taken away. At some point, they're going to need to rely on Baker Mayfield to win a game with his arm throwing the football. And, you know, can Baker do that? We're not going to know until that moment happens, I think, down the road. Although some people would argue, and I have a really good argument saying that, well, we've already seen Baker Mayfield in a situation where he had to win a game with his arm, and it didn't happen. Week one against the Ravens, the Browns lost that game 38-6. to And uh, Baker threw the ball 39 times. He threw the most of any game all year. And he was his least efficient. It was one of his worst games passing. We're only four games in. It's a small sample size. People point to that and go, I have no confidence Baker can win with his arm. I understand that. Now, to be clear, I watched the entire Browns and Cowboys game. When I talk about a football game, 99% of the time I watch the entire game. I think people are telling me, you got to start saying it more often because people don't understand. I don't look at box scores. I don't look at highlights. I watch entire football games like it takes hours and hours and hours I don't think people realize like, part of why my show is so late all the time is because how do you watch 32 games in two days you don't it takes forever and so I watched every single snap of the game there was a third and five for the Cleveland Browns where six minutes left by the way a key down the Browns were up 11 points and Baker Mayfield had Odell Beckham Jr. wide open down the left sideline and simply missed it was a bad miss. It gave the Cowboys actually another opportunity to be on offense. The, the Cowboys went down the field. They made it a three-point game after that miss on third and five. Baker could have put the game away, and he didn't. And that third and five, paired with the Baltimore Ravens game, does not put a lot of confidence in Baker Mayfield. There's going to be a time where the Browns are not able to run the ball and not able to lean on that. And the question is, will Baker Mayfield deliver in that moment? I don't know. We'll find out. I'm really fascinated. Um, Evidence so far says no, actually, which I I like Baker. I think a lot of people hate Baker. I'm not a Baker Mayfield hater. I think he's interesting. I'd like to see him succeed. I think his mouth gets him in trouble a lot. Um, But I also understand him. And as a human being, I look at Baker Mayfield and go, he's emotional. Like, he, he... he wants to win, he wants to succeed, and he hates being slighted, and I, I totally get that. I hate getting hate. I hate when people are unfair to me. I hate when people look at my, don't look at my heart and judge me on one stupid thing rather than who I am as a human being. So I understand Baker Mayfield, I think, a lot more than people, um, other people might because I just get it. I get what it's like to be criticized and feel like it's unfair. But Baker Mayfield, I don't have confidence that he can deliver when he needs to in a situation where he needs to throw to win, but we will find out. I hope he does. We'll find out when that moment comes down the road. Now let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys because, oh my God. Uh, (laughs) The Browns are up 41 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. 41 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. That's absurd. The Cowboys have so many problems. Now, I keep getting messages from Cowboys fans that are saying, Zach, you were so right about Dak Prescott. And, and I actually don't, you know, Sunday, I kept looking at my phone going like, what do you mean? Like, right about what? And we'll talk about Dak Prescott in a minute. But I want to be very, very clear about one thing. 
the Cowboys have way, way bigger problems right now than their quarterback, Dak Prescott. Number one, did anybody watch the game on Sunday? Because the Cowboys got manhandled on defense, embarrassed. It was awful. They give up 49 points, and they could not stop the Browns running the football to say if their lives were on the line, they wouldn't have made it. Like they, the Browns literally did anything they wanted running the football. Now, the Cowboys' defense, in my opinion, really needs two things. Number one, they need a quality interior lineman. He's gonna a guy like that would help in the running game. It would also really help and benefit the Cowboys defensive end, Demarcus Lawrence. They need an interior lineman. They also really need help in the secondary. I would love to see them out of safety. I think Earl Thomas is sitting out there going, Hey, dude, Dallas, sign me. Your team is terrible at safety. I'm an all pro safety. I might be a pain to work with, but sign me because I will come in and play better than what you have right now. The guys playing safety right now so badly need dis- help with discipline in their secondary. It, it is it's bad to watch. I mean, in the first four games, the Browns have, uh, excuse me, the Cowboys, in the first four games of the year, the Cowboys have given up 38 points or more, by the way. 38 points or more three times. One of those games they won, by the way, which is just an, it was a, a mess. If the Falcons had not had a total meltdown, the Atlanta Falcons hadn't had a crazy, absurd moment where they fell apart at the end of a game. The Dallas Cowboys would be 0-4. They're 1-3. It could be even worse, and it should be even worse. They gave up over 400 yards passing to Seattle. They gave up over 300 yards rushing to Cleveland. The Rams had 422 total yards of offense. The Falcons had 570. The Falcons had 570 yards of total offense. By the way, the Falcons lost that game. It says more about the Falcons than about the Cowboys. The Cowboys' biggest problem is our defense. I'm not a stats guy. The reason I say all those numbers, though, is, is to show you that teams are running the ball on them. They're throwing the ball on them. Balanced offenses are doing anything. It doesn't matter what you do. Everybody who lines up against the Dallas Cowboys is phenomenal. It, historically phenomenal. Now, one problem I see in Dallas that nobody especially people that are Cowboys fans, are willing to talk about. I'll say it. I don't have a problem coming out and saying this. One problem in Dallas is their running back, Ezekiel Elliott. And I want to be very, very clear. Let me, be, let, me, let me drink some pineapple juice, then I will tell you what I mean by that. Because I don't want people to be like, You hate Ezekiel Elliott! Ah! And people still will, but they're wrong. That's not what I'm saying here. So let me be very, very clear. Ezekiel Elliott is a top-notch running back. He's really, really good. Uh, It's obvious. It's clear. He runs the ball well. He's good in the passing game. But it's also clear to me that Dallas is overpaying Ezekiel Elliott. You may not like to hear that, but we have learned, especially watching football this year, that in today's NFL, you don't need to pay a running back big-time money to get big-time production. It's just a fact of life in the NFL right now. You may not agree with my philosophy on running backs, and that's fine, but hear me out at least. Number one, running backs do not win football games. I remember a couple years ago when a rival of the Cowboys, the New York Giants, drafted Saquon Barkley in the NFL draft, and I went, oh, a a running back with one of the top picks and a top three pick in the NFL, huh? And what happened? Have they been incredibly successful since that happened? They have not. 
Was Saquon Barkley the missing thing they needed to win football games? No. And it's not entirely fair. I know I'm framing it in a way, but my point is that ask New York. And this is the beginning of a lot of stuff I have to say. Le'Veon Bell went to the Jets. Have they won a lot since then? No. Saquon Barkley went 4-12 and last year with the New York Giants. You need way more than a running back to win. My point is running backs are not the key focal thing you need to win. You pay a quarterback, you pay a defensive end. I would not pay a running back. I don't think they have a gigantic impact on whether or not you win football games. But they do help, for sure. Let me be clear. Now, Ezekiel Elliott is making around $10.9 million against the salary cap this year in 2020. He will be a $13.7 million cap hit next year and a $16.5 million salary cap hit two years from now. Here's a list of guys who can give you similar production numerically, like numbers and stats. I know I'm not a big stats guy, but here are guys who can do a similar, give you similar production to Ezekiel Elliott for way, way less money. Number one, James Robinson, I think a bit unfair, but he's an undrafted free agent with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nobody saw him coming. That's why I would not hold it against the Cowboys. But hey, he's getting paid $611,000. He's running well. He's <laughs> catching the ball. He's doing everything for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's really, really good. And they're paying him nothing. Then there's a bunch of other guys on rookie contracts. Josh Jacobs, $2.7 million. Nick Chubb in Cleveland, $2 million. Uh, Buffalo's running back, Devin Singletary, one point. Not even that, $933,000. Nothing. Devin Singletary makes less than a million dollars to be starting running back in the NFL. He's doing very, very well. Ronald Jones in Tampa, $1.9 million. Jonathan Taylor, $1.4 million. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, $1.9 million. My point is Ezekiel Elliott is making $10.9 million this year against the salary cap, and you could have all seven of those names I just listed for 11 and a half. You could have seven people instead of one Ezekiel Elliott. And Ezekiel, it's very, very good. He's not worth that. Bring in Josh Jacobs. Bam. Problem solved. Bring in, I mean, geez, Jonathan Taylor with the Indianapolis Colts was a second round pick. Trade Ezekiel Elliott. Bring in Jonathan Taylor. Problem solved. You got a guy who can run the ball really well. And I know they're like, he's a receiving back too. My point is you can find someone to do, if not all of what Ezekiel Elliott does production-wise, very, very close for a fraction of the money. You can get quality production at running back for far cheaper than the Cowboys are paying Ezekiel Elliott. Instead of paying Zeke over $10 million, pay a rookie running back $2 million, on the, that's on the high end, by the way, and get your defense some help. Spend that money elsewhere. Go get an interior lineman. Go get a safety. Go get another corner. Pay other people. Because paying the running back does nothing. It's not helping you. Right now in the NFL, running backs are replaceable. It's a thing that nobody's talking about with the Dallas Cowboys is that the Ezekiel Elliott contract is bad. It's not a knock against Ezekiel Elliott. It's just the way the market works right now. You shouldn't pay a running back. It's brutal. It's not fair. Running backs feel slighted. I get it. But the reality is five years into your career, draft a new one. They're replaceable. Is that great to say? I don't like saying that, right? I, I know a lot of these guys. So you get DMs from people in the NFL. They're like, I play running back. I hate that you say that. I get it. But it's also a fact of life. If you're a general manager, if you're the person spending the money, you don't give a running back a contract. Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner, 
got sentimental. And I get it. I mean, he is a a staple of their franchise. What are the Cowboys without Ezekiel Elliott? I don't know right now. He's like the face. Him and Dak are the face of their franchise. And yet, I don't think Ezekiel Elliott is actually helping them that much. He's kind of a hindrance. He's, they're paying him too much money, and they could be spending that money in other ways. Now, Dallas, yes, absolutely they need help on defense. Zeke is not the Zeke is not Zeke's not playing negatively. He's just getting overpaid. But they could spend that money elsewhere. Now, I want to talk about the Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. I've always said, I want to be very clear. I've always said Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. He is a good quarterback. He's good. He's not great. He's very, very good. My criticism of Dak Prescott has always been, I've been very consistent on this. Because it's been the same problem for a long time. If, if a new problem arises or if he fixes this problem, I will change my mind. Because I, I'm notorious for when I get new information, I change what I have to say. But what holds Dak Prescott back is a lack of awareness and attention to detail in key moments. Drives me nuts. People love to talk about Dak Prescott's numbers and statistics. He puts up this many yards and this many touchdowns to blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't, okay, great. Let's talk about that for a minute. So on Sunday against Cleveland, he had 502 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. By the way, uh, the Cleveland Browns dropped not one, not two, but three interceptions on Sunday. Some of them were on scoring drives. So what if instead of four touchdowns, one interception, the Cowboys lost the way they did, giving up 49 points, you know, down 14 to 41 going into the fourth quarter? And what if Dak Prescott had had two touchdowns and if the if the, Cleveland can catch the ball, it's two touchdowns and Dak would have had four interceptions? That's a different story. People would be, and I, that's why I don't trust stats because you can look at the numbers and go, oh, he's great. But what happened behind the numbers, behind the scenes? Did he have a lot of turnover-worthy plays? Did he have a lot of bad decisions? Yes, yes, yes. That's why, again, I say Dak's good. But it drives me nuts. Dak has problems. I will say Dak's fine. The defense is the big problem in Dallas. That's the main problem. But here is the Dak Prescott mistake that, oh boy, it just drove me nuts on Sunday. I kept watching going, how? How is this happening? So as a quarterback, one of the number one things you have to understand, you always need to know where pressure is coming from. It's your job to know when you are going to be under pressure. And multiple times, Dak Prescott was sacked once he even fumbled in a situation where Miles Garrett, the Browns' defensive end, a former number one overall pick, like clearly really, really good, was in a one-on-one matchup with the right tackle. And Dak showed a lack of awareness. He, he didn't seem to understand or take that situation seriously that, hey, when Miles Garrett is in a one-on-one situation, you cannot hold on to the ball. One-1,000, one-1,002, ball's got to be gone. The clock is ticking. You cannot hold on to the ball when you have Miles Garrett in a one-on-one situation. It drove me nuts. Dak Prescott repeatedly did not seem to understand the gravity of that situation. Miles Garrett and a one-on-one matchup is a nightmare for you. You can't hold on to the ball. It really cost Dallas. And I, I just, it's little things like that, that every time I watch Dak Prescott, I go, 
there's always one little thing that needs work. It's a lack of attention to detail. It's a lack of awareness. It's this small thing. Dak is always missing. And I go, I, I, Dak's very good. He's not, he's not the biggest problem in Dallas. He's also, it's a, a lack of attention to detail and awareness in big moments on key downs that drives me nuts about Dak Prescott. It's what's holding him back, and we're, we're a long way into his career. I don't know what's going to change, and uh, that's a problem with Dak Prescott. That's a problem with the Cowboys. The big problem they have is defense. I think it's somewhat of a symptom of overpaying Ezekiel Elliott, and I, I wish they would have paid other people rather than Ezekiel Elliott gotten a rookie running back who could have done that job pretty well. I know that's controversial. I know that makes people mad. That's honestly what I see when I look at the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I want to talk about Bill O'Brien. I want to talk about Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins got fired. Bill O'Brien got fired. We'll talk about the Patriots and the Saints. Uh, I There's one other thing I'm going to talk about. Oh, we'll talk about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow won his first game. Really, really fun. Well, then we'll later talk to Marcus, the guy from – he is the, the face behind that franchise guy. We will talk to Tom Grossi. We'll end the show with Ask Zach. we got a lot of good stuff ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I uh, I want to air a grievance real quick before we talk about Bill O'Brien. And maybe, honestly, somebody listening can help me. I'm having a medical problem that I, I cannot, for the life of me, figure out. It's, it's driving me nuts. For the last, I don't know, even know, like a year and a half. And it's it's absurd how long... This has been a problem. I've gone to doctors multiple times. No exaggeration. I cannot breathe out my nose. I can't smell anything. The only way I can smell is if I taste stuff, which is weird. Like, it's it's infuriating. It's crazy to me. I, I can't smell. I can't taste. My nose feels like it's perpetually blocked. And I went to the doctor, and they're like, there's nothing wrong. And I'm like, how is that possible? Because I hang out with people. They can smell stuff. I can't. I can't breathe out my nose. I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't. I don't know why doctors want to help me. Quite frankly, I think it's one of those things where they're like, either they're lazy or they're incompetent or they don't want to help me. I don't know, but it's so frustrating to not to have this problem that I've tried to solve multiple times, and I'm just I'm furious about it. I, I it's been a long time, and and I cannot at all figure out why it's happening. I, I can't tell, and I can't figure out why my nose is just blocked. I can't do anything. Um, my theory, maybe it's a deviated septum. I don't know why doctors won't say that. I don't know why they won't say what it is. It's, it's killing me. Um, this, I want to talk about the Texans coach. How do I even, I guess just say it straight up. The Texans fired their, the Houston Texans fired their head coach, Bill O'Brien. He was both their head coach and their general manager, Honestly, if you've been paying attention, it's not a big surprise to me. I even did a video last week saying these are the coaches on the hot seat. Bill O'Brien was right there. He's one of the guys I've been saying for a long time. Things are coming to a close in Houston. Bam, I got fired. And a big part of why he got fired, in my opinion, is you know his failure as a general manager. He was the guy making personnel decisions, trades, signing free agents, doing everything in Houston. And the DeAndre Hopkins trade was a massive fail. They got rid of a, a receiver they really, really needed, and they really crippled their offense. Uh, the guys they brought in, Randall Cobb at receiver, Brandon Cooks at receiver, they're not working. It's not paying off. The, it, the move seems like a bust. 
I think there's fear in Houston of wasting DeAndre Hopkins, their quarterback's prime years of his career. Like, the worst thing you could do is have DeAndre Hopkins, a generational talent, and then not give him the support support he needs. It feels like with head coach, with personnel moves, they're not doing that. You also got to realize that Bill O'Brien was not liked. Bill O'Brien, the reason for that is Bill O'Brien took the same approach as the guy he learned from, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has a very cold um, demeanor with players where he treats you like you're, you're his, I mean, how do I put this in a nice way? And I, by the way, I love Bill Belichick. But Bill Belichick has an emotionless, a colder approach to being a coach that frankly doesn't work unless you're Bill Belichick because I, you see a lot of guys from the Bill Belichick coaching tree fail. The big reason for that is because they try to be Bill Belichick and they don't have the, and they're not Bill Belichick, frankly. They don't have six Super Bowls. They don't have the success that Bill can lean on. You can't get away with being Bill Belichick unless you're Bill Belichick. You have to change your approach. And guys like Matt Patricia, guys like Bill O'Brien, they've just straight up tried to copy the same approach as Bill Belichick. And unless you're Bill, it doesn't work. Guys like Brian Flores in Miami, for example, is a, a Bill Belichick protege who took some of the stuff he learned from Bill Belichick and then put his own spin on it. He's more authentic to himself. He's not trying to be somebody else. And it's working way better in Miami. So uh, the team was 0-4. People don't like him. It's not been looking good this year. The general manager has been awful. He's not been good making personnel decisions. And I think the most important thing, if you hear anything, this is the number one reason why Bill O'Brien was fired. The Texans came to a point where they realized, hey, we're done. We, we don't want to work with Bill O'Brien anymore. He's not the answer for us as head coach. And the minute you realize that, it's better to cut bait. You see teams like the New York Jets dragging their feet, extending things out, making it worse. And when you pull the plug early, what it does is put you first in line to get whatever head coach you want. I think it's pretty clear. Houston looked around and said, we want that guy. I don't know who that guy is, but they said, we want that coach. And we want to be the first team in line to get that guy. That's why they fired Bill O'Brien when they did. They realized it's over. It's not working. We got to get first in line to get whatever coach we want. My hope, my prayer, my desperation is that it's Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Eric Bieniemy is a really, really great offensive mind. I desperately want to see Eric Bieniemy work with Deshaun Watts and the Houston Texans quarterback. That would be awesome. And that is my theory behind why. Houston fired Bill O'Brien after just four weeks. They're 0-4. They said, eh, you're out. It's, they didn't like him. He's a bad GM. He's a bad coach. And they realized we want to get first in line for whoever our next head coach is going to be. We saw Washington did the same thing last year. They fired Jay Gruden very early because they wanted the Panthers coach. They said, we want to get Ron Rivera in here because we realized we want to be first in line to get Ron Rivera. We don't let anybody else snatch him up. We want him now. They got rid of their coach and said, bam, here's Ron Rivera. Come on in. Come be our new head coach. When you see a team fire a coach very early in the year, it's because they realize we're bringing in our next head coach, getting first in line forever who that next person is. Now, talk about Washington for a minute. The Washington football team benched their starting quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. And... 
people will not like what I'm about to say, but if you've been watching Washington, it's not a big shock. And I think people from the outside look at, they see statistics and they see a bad situation and they go, that's not fair. And it, life's not fair. You know, the real, here's, here's the honest reality about Dwayne Haskins. What was fair about Dwayne Haskins is he got multiple opportunities to be a starting quarterback for that team, especially this year. One, two, I, I count four this year so far. And this is very harsh because I, I understand. There's a lot of people, I keep getting messages from people going, can you believe Dwayne Haskins? How unfair is that? How crazy is that? Can you believe this? Can you believe that? Even people I really respect are saying stuff like, look at these stats versus this stats. Has anybody watched the film? Has anybody watched it? I, I was kind of furious when the news broke that Dwayne Haskins got benched because I, I'm halfway through a film analysis of Dwayne Haskins. And one of my best ones in a long time, long, in-depth, um, detailed, like not, I feel like the, the ones I've done recently have been very, here's, I've been talking and trying to play a little bit of footage. That's not what this next one is. The next one's a short film, and I'm really proud of it with Dwayne Haskins, trying to explain Dwayne Haskins' problems. And then he got benched, and I'm like, they beat me to the punch. It kind of frustrated me. Threw a lot of my week off. I went, ah, well, crap. I had to readjust everything. And I think what people don't understand, <sighs> Dwayne Haskins, it's not like nobody's open. It's not like it's a lack of opportunity from people, you know, giving them opportunities to do whatever. The reality is Dwayne Haskins has fundamentally been a bad quarterback. He's and I like him. I think he's a good leader. I think he's in, like, interesting as a human being. But Dwayne Haskins has had guys open, not once, not twice, but many, many times, and either completely missed, his mechanics have fallen apart, he's not throwing the ball well, his arm talent's insanely bad. I, I, every time I watch Dwayne Haskins, I go, that's a bad ball. That's super inaccurate. That's late. The timing's terrible. Why can't Dwayne Haskins figure it out? And it's... You look at Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. Joe Burrow went to Cincinnati, already has phenomenal timing with he T. Higgins is not a former guy from LSU. So Joe Burrow played at LSU his senior year. T. Higgins was playing for Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. And T. Higgins and Joe Burrow have an incredible connection already in Cincinnati. Terry McLaurin and Dwayne Haskins played together in college. And even they don't have as good a relationship as Joe Burrow and T. Higgins seem to have. So my, my point is to, to say this, is that Joe Burrow's attention to detail as a quarterback is making guys like Dwayne Haskins look bad. Because Dwayne Haskins, people say, it's a short offseason. It's this. It's that. Well, the reality is if Joe Burrow can make it work, why can't Dwayne Haskins? I'm yelling. It's not my heart. It's not my intention. My point, though, is to say that and I, I Dwayne Haskins seems like a good dude. I was... I was shocked, not that he got benched, but shocked at how bad he's been this year because I saw Dwayne Haskins every single day of the year. Had a, a guy on Instagram, I am Var, posting and taking pictures of him working out every single day. And I went, wow, okay, Dwayne Haskins is doing the work. It seemed like the guy was working incredibly hard. And we have not seen that on the field. We have not seen him be more accurate. We have not seen him have better timing. In fact, he's somehow gotten worse. And so Dwayne Haskins played himself out of a job. And that's unfortunate. Now, I also do have to wonder, there's something else happening here because Dwayne Haskins was not just moved down from the starting quarterback to number two. He's now the number three quarterback on the roster. So the starting quarterback in Washington is Kyle Allen. 
he has a history with Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator. He played with the Panthers last year, who was you know, Scott Turner was with the Panthers. Kyle Allen was also with Carolina. They have a history together. Kyle Allen is, I would call Kyle Allen a really good duct tape quarterback. He's a guy you want on your team. He makes your team better. He's a great uh, locker room dude. And he's quality. Like, if, if somebody gets hurt, you want Kyle Allen as your backup quarterback because he can come in and play pretty solid. He's not your forever quarterback. I would hope not. Uh, but, man, Kyle Allen could do some good stuff. He's underrated a lot. Kyle Allen is the starting quarterback in Washington. The number two quarterback is not Dwayne Haskins. It's Alex Smith, the 36-year-old quarterback, the guy who had his leg destroyed and the, the former franchise quarterback in Washington who has now, you know, he, he's working his way back. And how crazy of a comeback would that be if Alex Smith became the guy in Washington? Dwayne Haskins is now number three. I, I wish so badly. Give me, give me one practice. I just want to watch one Washington football team practice to see what's going on. What's happening there? Is, is Kyle Allen lighting it up? Is Alex Smith lighting it up? Is Dwayne Haskins terrible? I have no idea. Uh, but the product on my field the first four weeks for Dwayne Haskins was not very good. I'm not surprised he got benched. I'm surprised he didn't play better. And that's the unfortunate reality. Everyone's saying... They're sharing statistics and comparisons and saying they don't have this and they don't have that. Watch the film. Dwayne Haskins has had a lot of opportunities and made a lot of really bad throws the first four weeks. He played himself out of a job. It's unfortunate. I don't root against anybody. I like when people do well. (laughs) Um, But Dwayne Haskins has not done well so far this year, and that is why he got benched. Okay, I need some pineapple juice real quick first. Joe Burrow got his first win as the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. It was really, really fun to watch. The Bengals beat the Jaguars 33-25 to on Sunday. I love Joe Burrow. I could not feel better about him. His attention to detail is phenomenal. He's already got incredible chemistry with T. Higgins, the former receiver at Clemson. Remember, they played against each other in the national championship. T. Higgins is awesome. Uh, I, I think Joe Burrow and the chemistry with Joe Burrow and Higgins is really fun to watch. A.J. Green is kind of – what am I saying? A.J. Green. I'll talk about A.J. Green in a second. Joe Burrow is – that's kind of a Freudian slip. It's in my head. Uh, Joe Burrow looks really, really good. His timing's phenomenal. His attention to detail. I could not be more impressed with Joe Burrow's start to his season. I actually thought that – my prediction was Joe Burrow was going to be very good eventually – I thought for sure that Joe Burrow was going to struggle early on. And like, yeah, there's a couple little tiny things. But for the most part, Joe Burrow looks phenomenal. He's already like his interception on Sunday, by the way, he had an interception against the Jaguars. Not his fault. Threw a ball to his tight end. Miles Jack just stole the ball from the tight end. That's not on Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow looks really, really good. Ball location, timing, everything. He's not struggling at all. Uh, I think he hates losing, but Joe Burrow. Great pick. Totally, absolutely should have been the number one overall pick. Perfect. Cincinnati did everything right there, and Joe Burrow's phenomenal. Now, here is the thing. Bengals fans get very, very touchy. Uh, That's an attack. I don't mean that. But the first couple weeks I watched the Bengals and went, something's wrong with A.J. Green. And, oh, people hated hearing that. People said, well, A.J. Green, he's, he's coming off of this and coming off of that. And, well, we're four games in. 
uh, week four against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're not exactly the most talented roster in football. A.J. Green had one catch for not one, not two, but three yards. <laughs> and A.J. Green is not catching contested passes. He's dropping passes he normally catches. He's got no separation. A.J. Green is uh, its not going well for A.J. Green. I don't see things getting better for him. I don't. The word washed up is not fair. I wouldn't use that. I, I had someone say to me, someone sent me a message, is A.J. Green washed up? I'm like, ah, I hate, I don't know. I'm emotionally attached. I like A.J. Green. I think he's a, a good human being who has been a talented football player for a long time at his NFL career. But it's been a longer career than people realize. He's been hurt a lot, and A.J. Green does not look like himself. And I, I in Cincinnati, I mean, the fact that Joe Burrow has better chemistry with T. Higgins than he does A.J. Green is weird and concerning. And you're wondering, like, why isn't A.J. Green playing better and why doesn't Joe Burrow connect better with A.J. Green what's going on there something's going on there and A.J. Green looks checked out and looks uh checked out's the wrong word I don't I'm theorizing I have no idea what's going on with A.J. Green he's not performing well and it's just time to point that out I mean people keep saying like well let's have patience let's have patience let's have patience and maybe he'll get better as the year goes on but we're four games in and A.J. Green's done next to nothing for four weeks. And so we can wait as long as we want. But I'm, I'm getting ready to say it's A.J. Green's career is, at least in Cincinnati, it's time to be done. And so I don't, I don't know. Maybe A.J. Green is intentionally trying to sabotage his career. He wants to get out of Cincinnati. I don't know. I have no idea. But A.J. Green is not playing well. And it's time for people to start acknowledging that and time for people to start saying that out loud. A.J. Green is not playing well for the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh my gosh, the Chiefs. Did anybody watch the Chiefs and Patriots game on Monday Night Football? I think kind of the funniest part was that the CBS broadcasters, and we are so lucky. I love Jim Nance. I love Tony Romo. I think they are the best broadcasting pair in football. I love, anytime I can watch Jim Nance and Tony Romo, I get so happy because I genuinely think they are the best broadcast team in football. They're so much fun to watch. It was funny to watch him keep saying, like, by the way, there's another game, Monday Night Football on ESPN, like the Packers, the Falcons. I know I'm sure they were obligated to say that. I don't know what happened behind the scenes there. It was just funny how many times they pointed out. Remember, you can watch Monday Night Football with ESPN, Packers, Falcons. I think ESPN was really pissed and they demanded that. I don't know. Just interesting behind the scenes stuff. So the Chiefs beat the Patriots 26-10 to on Monday night, and... It was really disappointing because I I don't know that Kansas City won the game so much as the fact that the Patriots lost. And here's what I mean by that. First of all, the Patriots did not have their starting quarterback, Cam Newton. He had a positive COVID-19 test. And, I mean, with Cam Newton, the Patriots could have won this game. It's very clear to me. The defense played really well. Do not forget, Chiefs-Patriots Monday Night Football— it was a three-point game in the fourth quarter. It was 10-13. to 13. The Patriots are losing by three points in this game, in the fourth quarter. And a number of miscues were made by the Patriots early on and then in the fourth quarter that caused them to lose by a lot. And it's, it's kind of it's disappointing. It's frustrating. A lot of it was on their quarterback situation. It's one of those things where COVID has really 
thrown a wrench into a lot of stuff, made the season very unpredictable. But the Patriots, here is what happened. They had the ball twice in the red zone and got no points. They had their quarterback, Brian Hoyer, had a on, on a third down, I believe it was third down, got, had a fumble where third, it was third and eight, and he held onto the ball too long, took a sack, he fumbled. The Patriots did not get a field goal attempt. They didn't get any. It was really, really bad. And then later, right before halftime, Brian Hoyer took another sack where instead of throwing the ball out of the back of the end zone, saving time off the clock, Brian Hoyer took a really bad, and maybe it wasn't third down that the fumble happened. I, I honestly don't remember. I wish it was in my notes. It's not. I'm going mostly off memory. There was a play where right before halftime, Brian Hoyer takes an, took another sack. The Patriots had no timeouts on the clock. Clock runs down, no field goal attempt. The Patriots left three more points off the board. And to have the ball twice in the red zone and not score is a huge, huge problem. The Patriots defense dropped two interceptions. Look, you can do a lot of good stuff against the Patriots, against the, the Chiefs, excuse me. The Patriots defense looked really, really good. If you're going to beat Kansas City and look good, but instead of looking good, but actually winning, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. The Patriots had the ball in their hands twice on plays that should have been intercepted and they dropped it. You got it. If you're going to beat Kansas City, you have to make those plays. There was a third and 10 where the Patriots defense had, it's a key moment and they got a key stop, but there was a defensive pass interference. It gave the Chiefs a first down. It led to a Kansas City touchdown. That's a huge blunder. Julian Edelman had a drop on an out route where he the ball went through his hands. It popped up in the air. Bam. Tyron Matthew caught it, ran for a touchdown. A pick six, that's a huge deal. They gave Kansas City more points. At the end of the game, Jarrett Stidham, the backup quarterback for the Patriots, threw a really bad interception where he had a man open, and instead of putting the ball up and over in the air, he tried to throw the ball on a line. He underthrew it. It was the wrong location, a bad trajectory, another interception. Personally, again, I think that losing to the Chiefs helps the Patriots because down the road, it's going to give them hope where – at some point, if the Patriots play Kansas City again, presumably in the playoffs, presumably, presumably, I don't know. How do you say that word? I have no idea. I talk for a living. I can't believe I do it. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I, I really shouldn't. It's like insane. Um, <laughs> but where, where was I going? Yeah, so if the Patriots play Kansas City again, they have hope knowing that they can do stuff a lot better next time not make the mistakes they made last time and beat Kansas City because they were in that game. Three-point game in the fourth quarter. Mistake after mistake after mistake led to the Patriots losing. They had Kansas City. It's kind of crazy. I'm still waiting for Kansas City to lose. Like, or excuse me, what am I saying? To, to not win? Because Kansas City multiple times has had teams hand them the game. Justin Herbert throws a horrible interception week one. The Ravens play really, really badly uh, two weeks ago. The Patriots beat themselves on Monday Night Football. And a tough situation, by the way, where the Patriots had to travel on the same day they played. It's not an ideal situation. When I watched that game, I went, hmm, Kansas City didn't win. The Patriots lost. And if the Patriots ever get another opportunity to take a swing at Kansas City this year, they're not going to make those same mistakes again. And they're going to make sure they're not traveling the same day as the game. They will do everything they can. I think the Patriots really would like revenge against Kansas City and a, another opportunity to not make the mistakes they made because, again, New England had Kansas City. If they don't make all those long mistakes, they win that football game 
If Kansas, if Cameron Newton, their quarterback, plays that game the whole time, again, he didn't play at all because of COVID. If he plays, they win. The defense played great. They should have won. Two dropped interceptions, a third and 10 where they got to stop, and they got defensive pass interference led to a touchdown. The Patriots left points on the board and handed points to Kansas City. Now, you can credit Kansas City. Sure, I'm not trying to take away from them. That's not the point of this, but my point is that if we see the Patriots match up with Kansas City again, keep your eye on that matchup because it's going to be close, it's going to be intense, and the Patriots have a very, very good shot to win that football game. All right. Uh, before, I guess I don't need to break because we're going to do a, a cut in a second. I want to shift to a conversation I had with a guy named Marcus. He's also known as that franchise guy. I love Marcus. He's a new friend of mine. I really uh, enjoyed talking to him. Now, I made a comment to start our conversation. I, I pointed out that I'd, I'd never known who he was before I got messages about him. Uh, I said I'd never heard of him. And I listened back to that with my girlfriend. I was editing it last night. My girlfriend goes, Zach, you really sound full of yourself. And so I want to be clear. I hope I don't think Marcus was offended. Uh, but if it sounds really bad, it's not my heart. I don't mean to be um, rude. I, I, I just legitimately was like, oh, you know, there's a lot of voices on the Internet. And I didn't know. I'd never heard of his. And when I got to know him, it was really fun. We talk a lot uh, for 45 minutes in this segment. It's really cool. I really like Marcus a lot. I just wanted to clarify uh, that opening line might be kind of jarring for me. I apologize. That's not my heart was not trying to bash Marcus or say anything negative about him. He makes great content. I really like him. And uh, we had a fun conversation. So please enjoy my conversation with Marcus, a.k.a. that franchise guy. Joining me now is uh, Marcus. AKA also known as that franchise guy. Marcus, how are you? I'm doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me on. I think I uh, picked up listening to your show about 18 months ago, and I don't think I've missed a upload since. So I appreciate what you do. It's great to be on. I'm excited. That's cool, man. I, I means a lot to hear that. I, I admit, I, and I apologize. There's so many voices on the internet. I'd actually never heard of who you are until I got, and by the way, you have amazing fans. I got literally 100, <laughs> 200 messages from people saying, Marcus, this dude want, wants to collaborate. I'm like, who? Like, and no offense again, I just didn't know. And I, I looked you up, and I found the Fully Inflated Football Podcast. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll click on it. And I was trying to – I hope to find the video, like the re- moment where you referenced me. Uh, and at an hour north dr- – a uh, drive north to get to a funeral. I saw your uh, week two episode reacting to the games. Listened to all two hours. I loved it. <laughs> and then, you. lo and behold, like, your second to last word was <laughs> about me. And I'm like, holy crap, this dude's got a, a really – like loyal audience they listen for two hours i just really love that i'm like oh that's awesome man well done then by the way quality content i really enjoyed what you had to say i appreciate it i uh you know i i like having people on for me football is my favorite sport in the world i like talking about it with people you're interesting you're well thought out you had something that surprised me if we can start here with justin uh, i want to say not justin herbert joe burrow the Bengals yes. quarterback you ranked him as uh, a top 10 quarterback. I, I admit, I haven't clicked on the video. I saw the title. And went, That's interesting and weird. Why do you have Joe Burrow in your top 10, or do you? So this one this one was fun to explain, uh, obviously. Awesome. And it, it's I honestly, it was it was not like a clickbait thing. It really was. Yeah. I, I'm not a stats guy. I don't really care about what the box score says. I, I'm almost exclusively a traits-based analysis type of thinker. Oh, man. I love that. And when I look at Joe Burrow... And and the big thing really comparing was was Josh Allen and mm. um, 
a, a lot of people were like, how can you say that Joe Burrow is a top 10 quarterback after three weeks at the time? And Josh Allen, after three weeks, I was hesitant, right? Mm. And the thing with Joe Burrow is he has now played, uh, what did he play, 14, 15 games at LSU and now three games at in Cincinnati. And he has been the same guy every single week. And mm. coming out of college, it was, other than raw arm talent, this guy has a top 10 really you know trait at everywhere you look whether it's processor decision making in and out of rhythm ability yeah. to sense pressure and extend plays accuracy he has a whole package and it's not like he has a bad arm i think his arm is comparable yeah. to like tom brady mm-hmm. so i mean what i said coming out of lsu and and i was actually slow to the game on burrow because of what he had shown before that but once yeah. once i watched his every th- throw he made i was like this guy doesn't make mistakes he is flawless unlike any rookie prospect that I've ever seen for sure. And then we see three games. He's surrounded by the worst offensive line. His playmakers actually aren't that good. AJ Green hasn't been that good. Tyler Boyd has, has been all right, but John Ross is dropping balls in the first couple weeks. And he's showing all of the same stuff he showed at college, which is to me already elite pocket presence, elite processing, like ability to read defenses. He doesn't make mistakes. His two interceptions are, are not really on him. Um, and I, I just I'm I'm ready. And when you compare it to like Josh Allen, the problem with him is he had problems coming out of college. The last two years he's had problems. So it's it's kind of an inverse sample size argument because yes, Josh Allen has been great for three weeks, but we also have a large sample size of him in his last twenty games of having problems. So that that was kind of where the big argument came in on that. And then it, putting him over like Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, that kind of stuff. You know, that's fine. Those guys have established records. I just really like what Burrow is doing in and out of structure right now. He is just incredible. I think what's interesting about Joe Burrow, and everyone talks about his weapons, A.J. Green has not been the same this year. And you talk about, you said, it sounds like you picked him over Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. I would actually agree with that. Uh, Brees especially. I, I love Drew Brees, one of my favorite people growing up. He's not the same this year. And it's just obvious watching to me. Um, and Joe Burrow, I, I love what you said nearly flawless except for arm strength because while yeah has a great arm everything else i mean accuracy ball location is phenomenal um and i do you remember watching him two years ago at lsu how I, different of a quarterback he was like he was not even an nfl quarterback in my opinion two years ago right yeah he was he was you know totally buried i had him like you know just as a note like qb 15 qb 16 yeah and yeah lower than played. like an aj mccarron would be by the way too like literally right. that low right yeah yeah, almost no difference between those types of, of players. Yeah, it was it was just insane what whatever clicked for him. Um, man, I, I, I it's unlike anything I I remember um, at, at any level. The well, I think turnaround. If I may, watching even LSU last week, the difference with Joe Burrow and everybody else is attention to detail. He works mm-hmm. at every little thing. I mean, he manufactured a relationship with every receiver he had at LSU. Watching the new guy they have, I forget his name right now, Miles something some boring tall quarterback I don't care about anymore sure there's no when he rolls to the right or the left his receivers don't know where to go they haven't had any chemistry working on when I roll out I want you to come back to this area this location little things like that where Joe Burrow drilled into the people around him we're doing this we're doing that we have to be on the ball with all these little details and it's really translated well the NFL because again every little detail he can control he's dominating it and again yeah every is he had an interception last week against the 
gosh, who did they play? Uh, the Jaguars, where Miles Jack just stole the ball from his own tight end. It's like that's not really yeah, Joe Burrow's fault play. at all. Yeah, it's like, so yeah, it's not his fault at all. I, who did you? Who would you rather have Joe Burrow over? Like, who are the guys ahead of him? I guess. My so question. the five ahead of him were Mahomes, Russ, and Rogers, who, in hmm. my opinion, are a tier above anyone else right now. Yep. And then um, Lamar and Watson. So he would have been ahead of all, basically all the veterans there. Yep. And then um, ahead of, say, Josh Allen, Dak, Wentz, who people are down on right now. Yeah. Um, and then I guess Kyler. But, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, I have him ahead of all the young guys other than Watson and Lamar and ahead of all of the veterans because he just moves so well. And I don't yeah. think he's – I mean, honestly, mentally, as far as, um, you know, decision-making and processing, he's right there with, with Matt Ryan, and he's, he's potentially ahead of Tom, what Tom Brady's doing inside the new scheme, who he's, Brady has been far from perfect as far as his decision-making. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just look, like, when I really sat there and asked, you know, in a, vacu- in a vacuum, what quarterback do I want to help me win a game on Sunday? And... He was the sixth name that, that came up on my list. I love that. I, I think it actually totally makes sense, especially when you consider that he's more mobile than other guys like Matt Ryan or Tom Brady. And that's kind of one of those fun things where you, you go down. I, I did this with the Cardinals when I picked their, their season. I looked at their schedule, went through the list, counted up, and, oh, my gosh, they're 12-4. and four. It looks like I'm going to be wrong on that. But my point is it's fun when you go through a process and are surprised by the results, but you trust right. your process to get there. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. How about Justin Herbert? What do you make of his first couple weeks? Yeah, so I and I know you weren't you weren't a Herbert guy either. No, um, I was very far on that end of the spectrum as well. I, I had a second round grade on him, um, and I went as far as comparing him to Paxton Lynch at the end of the draft process. Um, and I said his like his ceiling would be a Jared Goff, where if he has a good structure mm-hmm. around him, he he can play in rhythm, he can be accurate. Um, I just don't trust him to become that kind of next level quarterback. And he's out the gate really exceeding my expectations in a few things. For for one, his arm has been as good as advertised. And as low as I were, was on Herbert, some people disagreed with me when I said that the second he gets drafted, he's going to be top four, top five arm talents in the NFL. Because he just, he really does have that close to like Josh Allen, Mahomes, Rogers arm. Um, which, which if used correctly, can be lethal, as we've, we saw last week especially. Um, but what, what he's done is he's been more consistent with his accuracy, which has surprised me. Um, he, at Oregon, in my opinion, had you know, 80 90% of his throws were great, and they looked awesome. But then that 10% of his throws would just totally get airmailed, nowhere in the right vicinity. And he, I, don't, I haven't seen that show up quite yet in his first yeah. three starts. So that's been that's been something that he's kind of proven me wrong on. But that wasn't that was far from my biggest criticism of Herbert. My my biggest problem was um, sort of the pocket feel and do you trust the guy out of structure? And um, what what we're really seeing, I think, is Herbert is actually a lot more comfortable uh, navigating the pocket than I anticipated. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Gardner Minshew with Jacksonville, where you know I totally just did not think he was a mobile quarterback at all and when you really look at his Washington State days you know they had a quick hitting horizontal offense pretty good pass protection I, I think it, a lot of it was he didn't have a lot of opportunities to show some of that play extension and it kind of reminds me a little bit of that uh, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's probably where I was 
the most wrong on Herbert was he actually looks to me really comfortable in the pocket and I think that's going to really help him develop unlike say um, another quarterback at a second round grade on the year before and Daniel Jones who I think is just completely lost in the pocket and doesn't have any of that confidence and I think that's really going to help him develop in a very similar way to what we're seeing from Josh Allen right now where when you have that kind of crutch where like you can not even necessarily do the Russell Wilson Watson thing where you're you're dancing around and making crazy plays but even just the subtle moves to like feel the blitz step up and you know step into a throw over the middle like when you have that confidence to do that it just helps the game slow down so much more and you just play confident and I think that's something that I didn't expect from Herbert that we're really seeing at a pretty good level especially for a rookie the, the last thing I'll say here before I turn it over to you is the that was a big criticism the accuracy was was a bit of a problem for me and then um, right there with the pocket presence stuff was his decision making out of structure kind of the what the hell are you doing throws mm. and that's where some of the Trubisky comps came into play in the draft season now, I will say that that has still kind of been there. Um, all three of his games, they're, they're 0-3, right? They've, it's, yep. they've been all close games, so I lose track of how they ended up. But um, <laughs> yeah. um, All three games, he's had a back-breaking second-half interception in a close game that ended up helping the other team win the game because he had the Chiefs pick where if he just scrambles for that first down, he had 10 yards to run, yep. he just chucks it up over the middle of the field. Like, you're pulling your hair out. Like, dude. What are you doing? Like, why? You have the game, dude. You're going to beat the Super Bowl champs in your rookie debut. And he just does that. It's like, oh, no. Why? And then the uh, he had a bad pick against the Panthers. Uh, I think that was throwing a corner route, and he didn't see the buzz safety, I believe, is kind of what happened there. And then okay. – um, he just, I have, I honestly, I watched the um, game losing interception against the Bucks last week. I watched it ten times. I have no idea what he saw, um, mm. and it's just like, all right, it's it's three weeks. Don't want to overreact, but that is something that was a part of his college tape consistently, two or three times a week. Now the question becomes, can do we do we see kind of like the Josh Allen stuff where he gets more comfortable, he stops doing that stuff. Or does it go the other way where it actually goes closer to what his his track record is and he makes two or three of those mistakes a game? So it, I'm totally giving him a chance. I give every quarterback a blank slate when they get into the league. Um, and that's that's why I'm much more intrigued by what I've seen from Herbert compared to Daniel Jones, who had a similar grade on. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think about Herbert so far? I'm trying to be really careful. I... Um... I want to wait till either either the year is going to end or 10 games in before I really – because my problem is it's too small of a sample size. And I, I love everything I've seen, but I also there were times at Oregon where I loved what I saw. You know what I mean? And the, I right. just – I don't want to jump the gun. I will say he looks a lot better than I would have expected pretty obviously. I mean, we're like, wow, he's putting up big numbers, and numbers are great, but he's also not winning, and that's concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like what you said about giving him a fair chance because that's what I'm going to try to do. I have nothing against him. I do wonder if having – being able to do football full time might help him. He had a tough major at college in college, and I think at Oregon had a lot of other stuff going on. His family was there. He's removed from them. He's very focused on football. That might help him a little bit. Uh, I will say I'm surprised he's doing as well as he is. The mistakes are still killing me. The weird back breaking interceptions are like, I, again, this is the same problem he's always had. The, the question has never been, 
is he physically capable? He's got an incredible gift of to, uh, tool, a tool set of physical skills. The question is, can he be consistent? And so far, it's like sometimes, but that's actually not what consistency is defined by. So I don't – we'll just see where we are in 10 weeks. I'm, I was curious on your take, but I just am kind of like, we'll wait and see. Yeah, and I hope he yeah, does well. The, the thing – like the picks, they're not like we said with Joe Burrow. Like Burrow's picks were a broken screenplay where he tried to shovel pass it, and Melvin Ingram made a great reactionary yep. pick. And yep. Miles Jack making an incredible – play where he literally rips a touchdown out of Burrow's hands Herbert's it's like you you can't defend like you can't explain the thinking (laughs) behind it um one one last note that um I thought was interesting was uh did you watch Hard Knocks this year yeah I did yep so do you remember um it was a it was a small thing but Anthony Lynn had to tell Herbert when they were going through walkthroughs to um follow through your reads because Herbert was just doing the one read and stopping and the walkthrough mm. and he was like follow through on your reads and it, at first I was like why is he not doing that and then I remembered or, or at least had the idea that maybe he just like Oregon's coaching maybe is just really not that good as far as translating to NFL success so mm. um, it just just some some things to kind of compare and contrast the NFL coaching to Oregon that I thought was interesting potentially that's surprising. Yeah, you normally, even in high school, I would catch the ball, throw to the out guy, and then continue, or at least work through all in a walkthrough, like on air, go through yeah. to your last read. That's kind of weird. I've never. Yeah, and he started. I, yeah. He started almost four full years at Oregon, so like, at some point they probably would have told him to start doing that, and it would just become second nature. Um, so I mean, it could be just small intricacies like that that we're not noticing. Like, okay, now that they have a coaching staff that's actually telling him every aspect of practice you got to pay attention to the details and go through all your reads like that could actually be a big step forward as far as his development well and by the way his quarterback coach pep hamilton is a great great quarterback coach like he's really in a good he was a former head coach of dc defenders in the xfl he's like a really good quarterback coach that'll help him a lot too yeah so we'll see i don't want to be too hard on him i don't want to be too i i just want to wait and see i haven't really talked about it much i've been intentional just people are like i get i feel like people are spamming me with messages saying Admit you were wrong. Admit, right. admit. I'm yeah. like, I'm not gonna bend the knee yet, guys. Let's wait till I know. I ten I more went games. The maybe same thing with Lamar Jackson, where mm. like I'm like, I actually liked Lamar coming out. Um, yeah, and <laughs> he showed flaws in his first year, and I pointed them out. Like he was the worst yeah. accuracy charted quarterback um, in the modern PFF era as far as missed throws to open targets. And he didn't look comfortable in the pocket, and he threw for six yards in his first playoff game until it was garbage time. So I was like, I, I am not ready to say Lamar Jackson is a good quarterback. I think I, I ranked him like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league entering his MVP season. And I was happy to be wrong, and I love watching Lamar now. But like, I'm not, you know, people like you and me, like when you're confident in what you saw, you say what you see, and then you react to new information. And there's always going to be people, especially fans, that are going to turn a blind eye to any problem at all and just be all in on these guys becoming superstars no matter what that are going to say I was right you were wrong it's just you know just be confident in in what you see and I think there's a balance that we all need as far as acknowledging what happened and what is happening if that makes sense well, it's also kind of frustrating. People really struggle with new information. It's okay to change your mind. I mean, that's right. our job is to look at what we see and say, here's what's happening right now. Our job is not to be, we remove emotion from it for the most part. I mean, I don't, I love Gardner Minshew. I might be a little bit blind on that one, but I, I really love, I, I, I try to remove my emotion as much as possible. 
Yeah. And the reality is watching Lamar Jackson throw in college, then his first year in the NFL, you went, hmm, that, that needs work. But it doesn't mean he can't get better. And he's actually changed the way I evaluate uh, Derek King, the quarterback of Miami, where I look at mm. Derek King now and I go, I don't like the way he throws the ball. It's, it's ugly. It comes out weird a lot of the time. I'm not confident in that currently, but it doesn't mean he couldn't get better. And what I'm trying to look at with a guy like Derek King is say, like, he struggles to throw the ball in, in ways I don't like right now. But he's a great leader. He works hard. He runs the ball well. If he gets a good coach who believes in him and can develop his skill set and he can develop as a thrower of the football the way Lamar Jackson did, then maybe. And before yeah. I would have just said he's never going to work. Now I'm saying it's a maybe because Lamar Jackson did. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I, the first thing I thought of when he said that was like Jalen Hurts needs to send Lamar a Ferrari <laughs> yeah. or something because I yeah. don't know if Jalen Hurts gets drafted if it's not for what Lamar Jackson did um, as far as overhauling his mechanics and all that because um, I, was, I was down at the Senior Bowl and Hurts actually looked really good throwing the football and his throwing motion looked completely different mm-hmm. from what it was at Oklahoma. And I think that that willingness to and, and Lamar totally changed his mechanics too. So to totally like that that willingness to take a chance on a guy with better coaching, I think Lamar and um, Josh Allen right now is is his mechanics haven't necessarily changed, but we're seeing more development at the quarterback position now than say five six years ago. How do you deal with getting hate? It's an interesting thing I've been <laughs> I've been kind of battling with. I've never I don't know if it's because there's more people than ever watching my show. It's really hard for me this year. It's kind of weird. I've never dealt with or struggled with people constantly, like, berating me before. But this is the first yeah. year. It's my second year fully covering football, like, you know, doing this full time. It's my second season. And I'm not, I'm not like, oh, this is not fun. How do you deal with all that? <laughs> well, I, I got introduced to the hate very quickly because <laughs> I actually – a big reason my channel was able to grow is I have um, a popular Madden roster that mm. I, I do my, my own personal ratings because – without getting too far into it, the ones EA does are doo-doo. Yep, I agree. <laughs> yep, nope, totally agree. So I get I got started getting a lot of hate right away. The first year I did it was uh, the year Cam Newton won MVP, and I had him as like an 84 because I was like, yeah, he's got all this, you know, he's he's not an elite passer. He's, he's a really good quarterback, but from what he actually does in the football field, he's not like a 99 overall. So I've been getting hate from the get-go. I As far as how I handle it, um, I some days I handle it better than others. I I mm. try not to do this, but sometimes it's hard. Where I just I'll I'll blast a guy on Twitter. I'll grab a screenshot from a YouTube comment and just roast him. Because <laughs> sometimes I do just need a little victory. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is mostly just hate. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, focusing on the positive reactions and sometimes just muting people and hiding comments it's sometimes you just got to do it because there you are always going to make someone angry no matter what yeah i've noticed for me what what has kind of helped i've been really doing some soul searching this week because i've been like okay why do i do this i i do this because i like football i love what i do i like making content about it and i love sharing my opinion and if people hate that that's fine but kind of removing like who cares if x person doesn't like it it's remember i like doing it that's kind of been really helpful for me i know that sounds helpful to you but it's remembering like oh yeah i do this because of me because i enjoy it not because I want approval from some random person in Louisiana who's um, upset and angry about some <laughs> random thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, is there something that surprises you the most when you look around the league this year? Um, well, there's an obvious one, and I don't know if it was going to be your answer, and that that's Josh Allen and the Bills. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're just – I would say 
Josh Allen's development as far as the accuracy, I think, is the biggest surprise. And this is now twice in as many years that we've seen a quarterback go from wildly inaccurate to top five accuracy down the field. Lamar last year and now Josh Allen. So it, I don't know if this is a fluke because you go back 20 years, this is not the case. Usually if you're inaccurate coming in, you're going to stay inaccurate. Yep. And they're they're jumping up. I think this was the Ringer podcast. They're talking about um, whoever um, Robert May's new guest is on there. I got to apologize because I don't remember who, who that guy's mm-hmm. name is. But he was saying it's, it's not just jumping up like a tier in accuracy. It's jumping up two tiers to being like below average to then elite. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing from Josh Allen. And that's that's been the biggest thing for him. I mean, he's he's never been a great, like, mental quarterback, but it's pairing potential mistakes with then also overthrowing dudes left and right. And now he's just, like, comfortable throwing that deep ball, and you see the offense just completely open up. Mm. Um, and I, I've been a Josh Allen guy going back to the draft, um, but after seeing two years – of relative inaccuracy I was starting to doubt it and then all of a sudden he just comes out this year and it's just been incredible uh, the the other surprise I was going to say is just how bad the Saints defense has been yeah uh, yep <laughs> because they're loaded at every position but they can't they can't manufacture a good pass rush they can't cover it's been it's been really surprising to see that you know I, I think as I look around there's a couple things that there's no big thing that stands out other than I think, I think Herbert's been surprised. He's better than I thought. Haskins, Dwayne Haskins really surprises me, though. Just how bad he's been. I really was excited to watch him this year. Yeah. I didn't like what I saw. this morning. Yeah, he wasn't great on film last year. I look at him like, ah, he's not great, but he's a rookie. Maybe he'll get better. And I thought, based on what I saw from the offseason program, like his own stuff, I'm like, every day looks like he's working. He's doing a ton of stuff. I thought for sure he was going to come in and make an improvement. And it seems like he's taking a step backward. He's less accurate. He's got worse timing. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, this is awful. I don't yeah. know if you've watched any Dwayne Haskins, but I look at it and go, oh, man, this is really, it's, really bad. It's been so painful to watch every week because I try to get through every game, through the condensed games at yep. least. Yep. And it's just like, oh, I, I have a hard time finishing those, those Washington games. It's just, it's like run, run. Okay, what is Haskins going to do on third down, third and six, almost like feel like they're perpetually in third and long. And <laughs> then it's like, He'll just kind of, you know, hit a guy that's sort of open and he overthrows him or it goes in the dirt. He just has been well, how so often, bad. How often are people open and he's throwing it in the dirt or airmailing it? Or yeah. like his mechanics are all over the place. Like, oh, I don't know. It'd be one thing if there literally was nobody open or he had drops or something. But it's literally him just making bad decisions or throwing horrible balls. And I'm like, I don't know. That's just on Dwayne Haskins. There's yeah. nothing here. And it, and it totally was actually comes, really telling. Go ahead. It totally comes back to uh, – I think having that crutch of play extension is so important for young quarterbacks. Yeah. Especially yep. nowadays. Cause, You're going to play early. Yeah. And offensive lines are worse than ever now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think I think having that crutch of being able to extend plays is so important. Um, I think that was a big thing for Josh Rosen as well. And it just it helps the game slow down when you're not panicking 24-7. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's that's how Haskins is playing right now. He just has no confidence. He's panicking. He doesn't know what to do. He's not getting a ton of help. But yeah, I, I I'm kind of kind of out kind of out on Haskins. Like I don't even know if like, I the am Bears too. trading for him or anything. I I don't think it's gonna go anywhere. 
I don't think I there's just, any market. Yeah, he's yeah. he's Josh Rosen. He's not. He, I think he's worse than Josh Rosen because he throws a worse ball. I don't. Yeah. I don't see anything I like positive about him other than he's simply like a good guy, and that's not really right. helpful to be. A, you know, what I mean, it's like you want to have a good guy at quarterback, but that doesn't win you football games necessarily either. Yeah. As brutal as it sounds, I know it sounds way worse than it is. Um, yeah. I, you know what? You know what I was also telling about that is that he's not just the number two quarterback now. He's number three. Did you notice yeah. that? Alex Smith is number two. It's like, oh, my God, he's not even number two. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge surprise for sure. I thought he would um, be at least I thought he would at least hang on to the job until next year. For sure. But Yeah. I'm curious about you, man. Um, Actually, actually, before we get into you, is there another team that you watch games and you go, I can't uh, for me, I can't watch the Jets anymore. I watched four games. (laughs) I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. I watched four New York Jets games. Like, why am I not watching more Tom Brady or more Drew Brees? I'm watching freaking Sam Darnold. But yeah. I've watched four Jets games. Like, I can't do this anymore. Is there another team that stands out to you and you go, I can't watch this football team. They're so bad. Um, probably the, the Broncos, actually. <laughs> yeah. Which just shows how bad that Thursday night game was. But it's just, yeah. I just get depressed. Um, that was the one game I legitimately turned off was the uh, Broncos-Steelers mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Um, I just, I get so sad watching it because it, it's just a completely lost season. And that just, so it it's been. just hard. And it's just, I don't. I don't get a lot. Like, I don't think I'm going to learn a lot watching the Broncos because it's like this no. is not the team that they wanted to be. There's just um, nothing valuable to glean from it. Right. So that's probably the one team that I'm having a really hard time with um, right now. I hope I hope they get Drew Locke back to at least obviously create some excitement, but also just to find out if he's the guy. Like Get him reps or, and get him in yeah. the system a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I like Pat Shermer. I like, he's interesting. It's hard because – you know, you and me, we look at the national perspective and go, what's an interesting story this week? Yeah. And there's just nothing interesting about Denver at all. You're like, I don't, it's just, nothing. we're really waiting for next year already. As sad yeah. as that is four weeks in. I mean, Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy is incredible. Yeah. He's fun. Fair to enough. Watch. Yeah. He's really fun to watch. But that just but, makes uh, me disappointed too. Cause you go, well, imagine if you played with Cortland <laughs> Sutton, like, like, ah, or imagine yeah. if he didn't have Brett Ripien throwing him. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah. What's your background, man? How'd you start doing YouTube? I'm so curious about that. Yeah. So I kind of always knew I wanted to work in sports, um, yep. but I, I was really going the sports business route throughout college. I went to mm. um, University of St. Thomas. I'll, I'll rep the, the coffee mug here next to me. UST. <laughs> we're, the, we're the team. I don't know if you remember the article that um, the D3 team that got kicked out of their own conference for winning too much. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that well was done. us. So, got it. I went there. Uh, I was in charge of the, the sports business club. I did internships um, for s- local baseball teams, a uh, little stint with the Timberwolves, um, all on the business side. And I was like, honestly, not digging this. Like, if I'm going to sell sell something or do marketing, I'd rather make a bunch more money and have better hours and do it somewhere else. Yeah. But I didn't want to give up on doing sports side of things. So I just went completely out of the sports business realm and I applied for PFF online um, got that job and then I started my YouTube channel as like a little pet project because I had like I said the the Madden roster mm. and that that roster was a great source for me to start YouTube because it was a, a way to market um, my channel because it has a little description on there mm. so it's gonna be like yep here's my ratings if you want to hear me talk about them go to YouTube is that simple and then I just really enjoyed doing that and it was it was almost exclusively Madden stuff 
Uh, yeah. And then the draft season rolled around because I started that in the fall. And then draft season rolled around. I started talking some mock drafts and stuff, and those started doing well. And I was like, wow, this is actually kind of working. So I, I really doubled down. The next fall, I took a job um, doing valet, so I had money for rent. And I was just like, I'm going to really go pedal to the metal on YouTube and PFF. And that was one of the most busy years. Well, now I'm pretty damn busy too, but <laughs> that was just crazy how much time I put into just watching film and making sure that I was as intelligent as I could be because mm -hmm. if you don't really know what you're talking about, you're not going to stand out. Yeah. Um, and that's just slowly grown and uh, I've had a lot of help um, from whether it's subscribers or friends and family and I've just kind of stayed with it. And, here we are. Kudos to you, man. Uh, the The initial growth period when you're first starting off is so hard because you're usually doing something else. Like I was in college full-time. I had a full-time second job. I also had a part-time job doing college football games and trying to make content on the side. I know what it's like to do have all this other stuff going on while you're trying to do this thing. You're like, this is what I really want to do is make content, and you can't yeah. yet. And it's, it was so frustrating. But when once you finally get over the hump, you're like, ah, I'm free. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah, I always um, tell people the first the first 100 subscribers are easily the hardest. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And then you got to keep going after that. Right. Um, it's just, uh, it's cool, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. I really like what you do. I really legitimately, uh, do you ever do Madden franchise stuff? Is that, I know you do like. <laughs> I, I do, yeah. Um, okay. I have really slowed down on that because I am not happy with the state of Madden right now. Um, yeah. I don't know how, how much Madden do you play. You... So the last time I played Madden, I so I, I bought Madden 17. I played it literally one time and said, not for me. I The Madden game I still play to this day is on my PlayStation 3. And I have every console, by the way. I have PS5, or no, 5, 4, I have Xbox One. Sure. I, have, I have everything, right? I still play Madden 11 on the PlayStation 3 because I think that's <laughs> legitimately my favorite Madden game ever. I, I love yeah. it. It's last time I went, this is really, really fun, and I like it. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I play franchise I mean... mode, by the way, until, like, uh, they give you 30 years, then you can't play anymore. You got to restart everything. But I play until 30 years are up on Madden franchise yeah. mode. Well, and that's that's why I'm so mad because Madden 11 has a better franchise mode than Madden 20. Like legitimately, mm. they they ripped out all the features Ugh. for some technical reason, and then they were like, "Oh, we're gonna build it back up. We promise." And then Madden Ultimate Team came out, and they're like, "Well, actually, let's just leave franchise really crappy, so they have to go buy all these cards." And yeah. It's it's just ruining it's ruining Madden, um, and I'm really frustrated about it. I I will get back to doing a franchise series. I try to do realistic rebuilds, and, and people tend mm. to like those. That's cool. Um, but uh, I'm probably gonna do like an NCAA series because I just I can't I can't get into Madden. <laughs> I just I can't. I have an online league that's fun, and we do like ten thousand things to make it realistic with like compensatory picks and all this stuff. That's crazy but, detailed, yeah. man. Yeah, we got like we got nine people running the league, and we're it's like a full time job. But <laughs> oh, good for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I do do Madden content. I'll be back at it at some point. But right now, it's it's been all football during the season. Well, I think it's more fun. I mean, it even sounds like when you did Madden, you a lot of what you do though is take real life and translate it to Madden. Does that make yep. sense? Like, yeah, I use it as a fun. story a storytelling device. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that, yeah. man. Well, hey, well done. Uh, is there anything else that sticks out that you want to talk about? I'm, I'm happy here. I think you've done a great job. I really enjoyed having you on. Um, I I don't have anything in front of me. I I was thinking, I, I'm curious where you stand on Dak Prescott because that's another quarterback that I've been really hard on lately, and I'm I'm yeah. curious like where you come in on on Dak. So I 
my biggest problem with Dak to this point has always been he lacks detail in key moments. On a third and five in the red zone, he'll miss a read. We've seen it multiple times last Retweet. year and this year where it's like <laughs> you're, you don't see a blitz, a man comes free, you got a guy open, throw to your hot route, not trying to throw a wheel route to Zeke, to Zeke Elliott. I can't remember what I think that was literally week one this year where it was a key moment, third and five in the red zone, had a hot route, you know, a blitzer comes, uh, a middle linebacker blitzed, has a hot route wide open to Michael Gallup, and instead throws a wheel route to Ezekiel Elliott's totally covered. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's so simple. Like, one of the fundamental cores of playing quarterback is you got to understand where pressure is coming from all the time. And it's not just that. He, he just struggles with all those little details all the time. But I actually want to say, to Dak credits, uh, to Dak Prescott's credit, I guess, he's not the biggest problem right now with Dallas by a long shot. Uh, their defense is a mess. They gave up 49 points and they lost. Like, you can't do that. You can't do what they've done on defense and win get football games. So I, I really think the biggest problem with Dallas right now is actually the not the DAC contract. That's another problem for another day. The problem is they're paying Ezekiel Elliott way too much money for the production mm-hmm. he gives you, which is considerable. Like, he's a receiving back. He does well. But you could play, pay a guy like what uh, James Robinson or <laughs> I mean that's a bad example because he's he's kind of out of nowhere but what's another Josh Jacobs um the guy in Buffalo Devin Singletary there are so yeah, many there's other examples I yeah. can't think of right now Nick Chubb Aaron of a Jones. guy on a rookie contract yes where you pay him 1.2 maybe 2 million dollars a year instead of 10 that could have been two other 15. starters on defense 15 for Zeke yeah so yeah. I I just I look at the Dallas Cowboys and say you're overpaying your running back not because he's bad. It's no hate against him. It's just you don't need to pay $10 million to any running back anymore in the NFL to get good yeah. production. Yeah, and it doesn't help that Tyron Smith isn't playing like a $16 million left tackle. Mm-mm. No. Um, or he's not even playing right now. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm so happy you said that, though, about the key moments thing with Dak because Dak truthers hate to hear that. And if it was <laughs> if it was a three- or four-game sample size, like, sure, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. But it's now been a problem for a long time. And – I keep saying it. He has really bad pocket presence, and people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, he he doesn't sense pressure. There was the play against Seattle where the people were saying it was the O line's fault um, when they're trying to go down and win the game winning drive. There's a three man rush, and it was a Terrence Steele, the left tackle, gets bull rushed backwards, not yep. completely beat, but was pushed back, lost lost his matchup, but not you know not a surefire sack and. The contrast between what Tom Brady did against the Chargers against an identical rush where he steps up and throws a touchdown and what Dak did, I wish I had the, the film in front of you, but but Tom Brady drifts right, sent, feels it, you know, he's like, okay, no big deal, we're calm, my left tackle's getting pushed back, I can feel this, keep my eyes downfield, step up and, and make the play. Dak has his, his glued downfield, doesn't feel it, steps, because his technique would tell you, just step up in a clean pocket, yep. but you got to feel that pressure. Like he said, and he steps right into it, literally right into the one place where the guy could sack him. And this is this is a key moment. This is, I think it was third down, maybe second down, in you know game-winning drive opportunity. And of course, Twitter's like, "Oh, he got sacked. The left tackle got beat." Like, no. Watch the good quarterbacks play. They will avoid that sack every single time. And that's a really consistent deal with Dak. He's got. A lot of those problems, he's got some problems like Derek Carr type of problems where he'll consistently throw the ball short of the sticks on third down, kind of just yep. take take the easy easy way out. And it's just like he's a, he's a really good quarterback. There's well, no I may, denying that. It killed me against the Cleveland Browns on Sunday where 
he consistently had Miles Garrett in one-on-one matchups against his right tackle. And it's like, you got to understand right. that if you have, first of all, I think the league needs to give Miles Garrett more respect. He's becoming in that, he's getting to that territory where you can't leave him in a one-on-one situation at all. He'll just destroy you. There's yeah. a reason he's paid so much money. But also if you're Dak Prescott, you can, you got to, one 1,000, one 1,002, get rid of the ball. You got to understand my right tackle is in a mismatch against Miles Garrett one-on-one. We can take that matchup, but if you're going to do that, get rid of the ball immediately. Do not hold on to it. And the amount of times where he held on to the ball for like four, five, six seconds with a one-on-one situation against Miles Garrett, I'm like, that's just stupid. you got to understand the situation you're in. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and it seems like he repeatedly does not. The, the excuses just keep stacking up, too. It's like it's always something different. Yeah. Um, and and that, that play resulted in a strip sack, which is a short field for Cleveland, who was dominating yep. time of possession. And... I, I don't think Dak is nearly close to as free of blame as people like to say. Like, they look at the stat sheet and say, oh, he threw for 500 yards, four touchdowns. Well, up until the five minutes left in the third quarter, they had scored 14 points. Now, their defense was sucking. That doesn't help. But if you're going to have this super expensive offense and demand $40 million, like, that's going to happen. Like, watch Aaron Rodgers' Drew Brees career. Like, hello, welcome to life as an elite NFL quarterback. Like, you're not always going to have the, the defensive help. Um, but up, there's five minutes left in the in the fourth quarter, and I don't remember the exact play. I remember being disappointed with him on a third down uh, that led to a punt. Um, but he had an easy touchdown on a blown coverage by Cleveland. He had another yeah. touchdown that was a good throw, but you know it was kind of a 50-50 ball as far as if Sandeo made a break on that thing. Sandeo is just terrible. Um, <laughs> and it, other than those two throws, he, he really didn't do anything and was a a critical reason why they were down so much in my opinion uh, combined with a lot of other reasons but he was certainly not helping them in that game there's a point i'm trying to find in my notes i can't find it where i believe in the fourth quarter going in it was like it was either 34 14 or 41 14 some ridiculous score where i think it was 41 14 where this flipped on its head like you can't go into the fourth quarter down that many points every right. single week that's right. on the defense sure but also, Dak at some point's got to keep up with the times and get better. If, if the other offense is scoring that much, that's a little bit on you, keep staying up with it, that. And then I guess what I'm trying to say here is that he makes so many good plays in garbage time. He takes advantage of defenses that are like, we're trying to run out the clock, we're playing cover four, we're way backed off, take everything underneath. He does that all the time. And it's like, yeah, 500 yards sounds great, but context of how that happens also matters. Right. Yeah, McCarthy uh, said it best. He said... Um, in the post-game presser, he said, uh, obviously defense has to be better, but uh, we're, we're getting rocked in time of possession because we're getting three and outs, we're turning the ball over, and that's just, it's just not a winning formula. And that's, no. that's really true. It's, I mean, we don't, I'm sure everyone would love if Dallas's defense would step up, but that's, you can't always do that. If you, if you want to get paid, if you want to be in the, the Watson tier range, the Rodgers, all these guys, like they they deal with this kind of stuff, and I, I don't think that Cleveland would have scored forty nine points if Dak was better in the first full three quarters of that game. I'm trying to find, there's one thing I saw. Oh, Trey Lance. Mm. Am I? I don't think Trey Lance. I look at what he did. Did you watch his one game? I, I haven't had time to get there, but I have watched his entire um, twenty nineteen. So, um, I, if I may, before we talk about his one game against Central Arkansas, it was kind of wild where. He had guys wide open. He missed a lot. Like He had multiple mm-hmm. touchdowns. He missed. His accuracy was awful. His timing was all over the place. And wow. I, in my mind, he actually played himself out of a draft spot. I, went, I, I really liked him. And I saw him play against Central Arkansas and went, what the heck was that? I was yeah. like, 
I was shocked. I was like, you, you're the best athlete on the field, for sure. You ran the ball really well, but you left two touchdowns on the board. Your, your timing was all over the place. Your accuracy was all over the place. I'm curious for you to watch that film someday. Based on one year last year, what was your thought about him? Before I said that, what were you thinking about him going into this year? I, I was hesitant. Um, mm. it's, it's one of those deals where it, I had the same problem with Tua, and I have the same problem with um, Justin Fields. It's really hard to evaluate a quarterback when they're up 28 nothing heading into the second quarter every week. Yeah. Yep. And, and guys are wide open, and they're the best right. athletes by far. Yep, yep. Um, so you you just have to – that's where the, it's nice to have traits-based analysis where you don't yeah. you don't have to pay attention to the, the context so much. It's just the what, – what is he doing exactly? And I, I was not overly impressed by his arm talent. I thought that he certainly was not great throwing outside the numbers – it's hard to say anything bad about his processing or his decision making, but I don't know. You can't tell. Yeah, there's it's no hard to know. It doesn't it's, happen. It's, it's like an incomplete eval. Yeah. Um, so well, when he's got guys wide open, there's not really much processing to go on. It's like he found an out guy open by 40 yards. Like that's wow, shocking. He he is going to be one of the most interesting draft conversations, especially if, if like you say, he played poor. Yeah. Because uh, man, there's been some tough quarterbacks to evaluate, but. Whew, I can't think of a quarterback with more unknowns that's that's a potential top 10 pick. I personally I I don't think I would take anyone in this class other than Lawrence in the yeah. in the first right now. And and Fields could easily prove that wrong, but I was really worried about Fields against Clemson. Um mm. or yeah, Fields against Clemson in the championship. Yep. So, at least he's going to get a full season hopefully to uh you know, clarify some of that stuff. But yeah, with Lance, dude, I I don't know. I have no idea what you do with him. It's crazy. He he actually said he's entering the NFL draft and went why yeah. why like I think he needs to stay in college. I think I, I wonder if he bought into his own hype maybe or if he wants a paycheck or hates college. I don't know what's going on there, but it's weird. I don't they don't the play on the field doesn't add up with him entering the NFL draft already. If that makes yeah, sense, I'm just like what the I heck? Agree. That's so bizarre. How about Justin Fields? How do you feel about him? Because people think I hate him. I don't. I want it. I want to see more from him. Exactly. And that makes people furiously angry. They're like, well, look at his numbers. Look at his highlights, bro. I'm like, highlights and numbers are not the way you analyze a player. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, JT, um, Barrett, JT Barrett did the same thing. Yeah. So it's like, yep. you know, Braxton Miller did the same thing. I I don't know. I I want him to be good for sure. He's. Yeah. I will say he's, from what I can tell, he's pretty accurate downfield, which will always help. Yep. Um, but it also helps when your guys are wide open. And I, I don't know. He just... <laughs> you see, I, I think every it's, it's single we'll see, game right? he played, and I was like, I have there's maybe two throws all season where I was like, oh yeah, that was that was NFL stuff right there, and the rest of it was just like, yep, that's a wide open pocket hitting a, a guy wide open on a crossing route. Yep, that's okay. They're up 35 nothing in six minutes into the first quarter. It's just like I, I don't get a whole lot from watching his tape. And then the one game where they did need him against Clemson, literally the one game of the entire season, yep, he he was not good. He was actually pretty bad. So. Yeah, I worry that guys like him and Trey Lance are buying into their hype a little bit. Because mm-hmm. it's hard when you hear, when everyone around you all the time is like, you're the best, you're amazing, you're the next number one overall pick, you're better than Trevor Lawrence. I imagine that's hard to not believe eventually when enough people tell you that. And mm-hmm. I fear that a guy like Trey Lance especially, I, we'll see about Justin Fields, I think he's, I, I want to watch more of him. Trey Lance, I go, dude, don't go to the NFL. Like, What are you doing? I'm very concerned when I heard that. I went, oh man, that's not good. He'll probably end up the next bust for the Chicago Bears or something. 
Why, no, watch he'll be Tom Brady. Like, he'll just be the best quarterback <laughs> I've ever seen. That, that's how my luck tends to work out is I, I go, I don't know about a player. Then the next day they go out and have, like, seven touchdowns. I'm like, well, all right. I said what I, I, said what I saw. Sorry about it. <laughs> yep, yep. Marcus, um, I, I held you for – we were going to go for 15 minutes. It's been 47. I apologize if that ruins your day. I hope it doesn't. No, that was great. Uh, I, I love fun. talking with you, man. I hope you come on again someday. I really yeah, like your I mind. I like you, the way it works. Too, so let's do please. Let's yeah, it'd be again. fun. Have me on. Um, dude, thank you so much. I have a great day. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Peace out. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. I really, really loved talking to Marcus. He's awesome. It's time now for my conversation with Tom Grassi. Tom Grassi, one of my favorite people in sports. Take it away. Enjoy my conversation with Tom right now. Joining me now is my favorite Packer fan, not just favorite Packer fan, Tom, I love you so much, and uh, you run the Packer podcast. How you doing, man? I'm all right. I'm, I'm let me, pretty let me be clear, by the way. It's called the Packcast. I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't want to, listen, I don't get trademarked for nothing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so you guys, look, the score was a lot closer than the game felt on Monday. You guys beat the crap out of the Falcons. Yes, Aaron Rodgers did. has four touchdowns without his top two receivers, by the way. How does that feel? Uh, it feels phenomenal. And we were also missing Mercedes Lewis, who was great uh, the previous week. So, yeah, no, it feels pretty damn good. Aaron Jones was out. It seemed like cramps for a bit, too. Like he went out. Jamal Williams was able to fit in perfectly within the passing game. Yeah, it was uh, it was shots all around. And we don't have Kenny Clark like and we didn't have Rashawn Gary. Like the injury list was so extensive and yet we were able to convincingly beat the falcons i think part of that says a lot about the falcons but it also says a lot about you guys to not stoop down to their level um there's a name that i didn't know somehow i missed this name you're a packer fan i'm sure you know uh you cover them extensively robert tanyan six catches 98 yards three touchdowns uh a guy i'm so sorry to interrupt i'm sorry um yeah it's Big Bob Tanyan. That's big that's Bob what that, it's. Big Bob Tanyan. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted I just wanted you to be in the know. Okay, I'm okay, sorry. Continue. Fair's fair. I'm learning. Tell me about him. Where did he come from? Who is he? I don't know anything about him. Yeah, Robert Tanyan has been on the team for uh, a bit now. He's been on there for a couple years, and you know, going into this season, I want to say like the main emphasis was on Jay Sternberger, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's former third round pick you know we, we drafted him pretty highly you had Deguera, you know coming in as well who's going to take over in some areas and it seemed that mercedes lewis and robert tanyan excuse me big bob tanyan were getting kind of <laughs> phased out and then what you had was you know jace has gotten a little bit slow in his development obviously he got hurt last year which yeah. definitely impacted his development but robert tanyan's been around for a while um, there was a game, what was it, back in 2018, where he caught a long touchdown pass from Aaron Rodgers against the Seahawks. Um, he's been on the team and, like, not making, like, a ton of impact, you know, just every now and then. And just this year, man, he has kind of just gone off. And now nationally, after Monday night's game, people know his name. And, uh, yeah. I mean, like, he literally did a somersault. He fell down, <laughs> did a somersault, and then got back up and scored a touchdown. I mean, come on now. Dude, good for him. I'm happy. Um was there, a, there was a moment in the fourth quarter, I think like four minutes left, the Falcons almost threw a touchdown. Was there a bit, I know you live stream games. Was there a bit of nervousness in that moment? Um, you know, I got to say there wasn't a ton because the Packers really did a great job with, you know, what they were working with. Because Julio Jones was in there for some of the game, right? Yep. Jair Alexander was on Calvin Ridley, who got 
zero, nothing, no catches, uh, no yards. Love it. Um, and I think it was just, I had so much faith in this offense right now. If the Falcons scored, I'm like, yeah, we're going to score again. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost, it's very 2011 esque, you know, not with the defense, the defense is better, but yeah. with the offense and like, I have so much confidence in there and, you know, especially with the Falcons secondary, which is so beat up, you know, and <laughs> they have so many yeah. injuries. I was just like, no, we're going to walk down the field and score again. That's awesome. It's got to it's got to feel good to be confident in your team. Um I look ahead for the Packers, man. You got a bye week, then you have Tampa. I'm going to go through the whole schedule, okay? You got Tampa, then you have Houston, you have Minnesota, the 49ers, the Jaguars, the Colts, the Chicago Bears with big big I'm not going to say that with Nick Foles, uh the Eagles, <laughs> the Lions, the Panthers, then the Tennessee Titans and Chicago. I see like four games that are tough and the rest of it I think you guys walk through it. Do you feel really good moving forward? I think that, you know, heading into this season, if we were like, oh, well, like, you know, break even at like two and two, I think we would have been happy with that. The yeah. fact that, you know, we're four and oh, and it's a strong four and oh, yeah. right? You look at the Bears who started off with three and you're like, well, they won the Lions game because DeAndre Swift like dropped that touchdown, right? You, they mm-hmm. lost, they, <laughs> the other game they won, you know, because the Falcons literally collapsed and, and blew a, a 16 point lead. So, like, you look at it from that standpoint, and, like, it's definitive. We're the highest-scoring offense at 38 points per game right now. You know, Rodgers is on another planet. Aaron Jones is picking (laughs) up right where he left off last season. And I think it's just the amount of weapons. But on top of that, it's how the ball is being spread around in, you know, year two of Matt LaFleur's scheme that makes them so good that turns anybody into that offense into a weapon. Yeah. I think it, that's like the big thing and going ahead, like when you're talking about teams like the Bucks or the Titans or the 49ers, because I think the 49ers will be relatively healthier, you know, yeah. when we wind up facing them, you know, it's going to be one of those things of just like, who do you focus on? You have Devontae Adams, but like we, as we've proven, we can win games without Devontae Adams. We did it last year and now we're like doing it, you know, in a much more definitive way this year. And I think, you know, we get Kenny Clark back, we get Rashawn Gary back. Like right now, I'm I'm super confident in this team and like we just look like a really good football team. There's things to clean up obviously, more on the defensive side, but yeah, we look like a really good confident football team. Well, you also have another thing working in your favor. You have a week off before you play Tampa, a week to get healthy and a week to prepare and study what they're doing. Um, as I look ahead, there are four games. You want, want to know what four games I have scheduled on there, uh, scheduled, circled on the roster that I think are tough games moving forward. I'm, I'm going to, can I guess? Yeah, please. That'd be fun. Okay. Buccaneers. Yep. Titans. Yep. Okay. And then 49ers. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. And then <sighs> which one would you pick? Come on, come on, come on, come on. You're so close. I, you know, <sighs> I'm like trying to, I'm do you want to get hint? Him. Do you want a hint? Is it an early or a late game? It's an away game. Okay. I would think maybe like the Bears, but that's that's because of the defense, but mm-hmm. I know it's not going to be them. M- kind of middle middle game. Middle away game. When do we play the Texans? That's like in a few weeks. No. I don't know. It's the Colts. I don't get the... Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, the Colts. Yes, 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 yes. So I, think, yeah, the... I think Tampa... The Colts and the Titans are probably your toughest matchups. I think this is your opportunity to get revenge on the 49ers. It'll be interesting. Jimmy G will be back, but he doesn't scare me at all. Their defensive line is nerfed. I, I feel pretty good about you guys going into the 49ers place and maybe beating them. 
Um, on a short week, too, because it's on a Thursday night game. Which actually goes into your favor, I th- in my opinion. I think so. I think so. So, yeah, I feel really good about you guys moving forward. I'm, I'm terrified for other people around the league that have to play you guys. Especially, you're going to roll through, like, I think the Bears, you, you're a much more competent football team than Chicago. You roll through the Panthers. You roll through the Jaguars. The Vikings are kind of the surprise team of the year so far because they've been surprisingly bad. I don't know what to make of them. What do you, what's your thought on the Vikings right now? I couldn't be happier. I think, you know, <laughs> when you, like, uh, here's the thing. Like, I walked into this season, I looked at their draft, and I was like, wow, they had a really impressive draft, right? Mm. But they're on top of that. They lost Everson Griffin, right? Daniil Hunter, they have been sorely, sorely missing Daniil Hunter. Uh, yeah. and on top, I know they got Ngankwe from uh, the, the Jaguars, but that's secondary. The safeties are good, but the corners are so young and inexperienced, and so that's problematic. And then I think, you know, the offense is the offense. You know, you're missing Stephon Diggs, who is livid up in Buffalo right now. But you have Adam Thielen, who's a very established, great wide receiver one. And then you have Justin Jefferson, who shows these flashes of being really, really good. But it's he, it's in his rookie season. You know, it's really difficult to break out as a rookie wide receiver. So I think that, you know, right now, it's fascinating. Dalvin Cook is still a very good player. Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins. I, I think, like, right now, they're in this weird transitional kind of phase where they have some new blood in there. And at the same time, like they're just trying to figure out and they, the biggest thing is they don't have a defense to rely upon like they have in previous years. Cause sometimes they can score 16 points and win the football game. I feel like now that they don't have a defense, it basically forces almost every game to be into a shootout, which is a disadvantage for that offense because that's not how they operate. They operate really well with giving Dalvin Cook the ball and, you know, and Kirk Cousins doing things when he has to do things. But as even last year showed, you know, against the Packers on Sunday Night Football, if you make the game go into Kirk Cousins' hands, that's not, you don't have a great chance of winning the game. You know, I think I have two thoughts about Minnesota. Number one, they really wish they had Xavier Rhodes. He went to the Colts. I watched him play against Nick Foles on on Sunday. <laughs> he played really well. I mean, I really he knocked a bunch he of passes is, away. Go ahead. He's fascinating because mm. like Packers fans used to say all the time like roads are open because like literally <laughs> we would destroy them. We would destroy mm. Xavier Rhodes. Like there is so much tape of Aaron Rodgers destroying Xavier Rhodes, and I just think it's hysterical. That, like, he goes to the Colts as having, like, this resurgence. And it's kind of like Eric Ebron from a few years ago, like, go leaving the Lions, not doing anything, and then making the Pro Bowl the first time he's with the Colts. The Colts just take, like, banished NFC North players and rejuvenate their careers for, like, a year or two. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, they, they're happy to have him there. He's playing really well. Yeah. I, I also, it's disappointing with Minnesota because you would believe that going into this point in Kirk Cousins' contract they'd be a Super Bowl contender, and they're not. That feels like a massive L to me. Zach, you just repeat that. I'm almost there. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm right there. Hold on. How much, how much, it was $84 million, and then they gave him, how much was the extension? Like 60? Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I, it's literally bliss. Just Talk about pure, Vikings tears, dude. Oh, I'm drowning it. Every single day, I go and I label my showerhead Vikings tears, and I just bathe in it. And it's, it's truly a glorious <laughs> thing to witness. Yeah, and I mean, we I said this years ago, and this isn't like an I told you so, but I said Kirk Cousins, you know, and listen, the market at the time for QBs was insane. It still is insane. Yeah. He was like the quote-unquote best one out there, but they went to an NFC Championship game with Case Keenum. If they kept Case Keenum and continued to build an amazing defense around him, an amazing running game around him, 
I mean, instead they went and gave Kirk Cousins insane amounts of money for what have they gotten? How many times have they made the playoffs? How many have they gotten past the you know the divisional round? It's I, I think for the amount of money and like you said, the amount of years that have gone by with Kirk Cousins, what do you have to show for it? Yeah, in retrospect, they would have been better off paying Case Keenum nothing, yeah. spending all their money on a good roster and doing it that way. I think what's sad, what's interesting about Kirk Cousins looking at him now is that he is not really elite throwing the ball at any at any like. There's nothing he does that you're like that's an elite, you know, at any at any point in his ability to throw the football. But there's also he can't run, he can't move around yeah. very well. He like he's more athletic than people give him credit for, but he's also not. We I kind of keep waiting and waiting for him to get better at extending plays, and he's been really trying hard to do that this year. And you can tell it's something he's trying hard to do. But it's not there, and it's like, man, I don't know what you're paying for at this point. You're paying for an average quarterback, just period. And that, and like that's the thing too. Like I also want to point out, like he had a good season last year, right? And I yeah. don't think that Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback. I think he's like a mid tier QB that sometimes can be above average. And you know the thing is too, like this also falls on the Vikings, like. Kirk Cousins, as I said before, is usually not going to win you a football game, right? You need to build a team around him and you'll find success. If you can bring Case Keenum to the NFC Championship game, you can bring Kirk Cousins there. But they have spent so much money. They are in cap hell. They've extended some major players, but they had to let a bunch walk, right? Obviously, you know, their big wide receiver won with Stephon mm-hmm. Diggs. Everson yeah. Griffin had to go, what have you. And I think, you know, you're in this spot where you're kind of screwed because the next few years for the cap is not going to be pretty. And I, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things that with the Vikings, I feel like they have this history of having a good running back, a good defense. They had this with AP, right? You brought in Brett Favre. They were really, really good for that one season because they finally had a good quarterback, made the NFC Championship game, and then he lost it for you. And then, like, then we went back to mediocrity. And they still haven't found, like, the guy to be behind there just yet. And, yeah. you know, they, they try, and there's, like, a revolving door. But, yeah, it's it's fascinating how quickly that defense has deteriorated because, like, now it's a joke. Well, what's sad, too, is it's not coaching. Uh, that's what's interesting is you watch the schemes they're calling. They had a blitz against – who did they play – I forget who the Vikings played recently. I, wa- I was watching some game for some, some – I, I don't remember. I think it was the Cowboys Texans and the maybe. Jets or somebody else watching. And it was like the best blitz I've ever seen. I, like they just – you couldn't stop it. You couldn't predict it. I was like, that's just an impressive play design. I really was – I liked it. And I see that a lot from the Vikings where I go, wow, they're versatile. They do a lot of stuff. And it's not working. And I don't know why. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I, it's like dang it, man. I'm constantly impressed and then constantly disappointed. Um. I feel bad for Vikings fans, man. They've, they've had it like they're so close every time. You know, they, they had Sam Bradford. They had Teddy Bridgewater. They had Case Keenum. They had Kirk Cousins. Oh, it's like Teddy. When, oh, I'm remember so they happy drafted that Christian Ponder? Well. Remember they drafted oh, Christian Ponder? Do I remember? Do I? I love Christian Ponder. What? He's a personal hero of mine. <laughs> that was my dad was like, Ponder this. Suck for luck. Vikings, uh, 20 whatever I, year that was. 2012, listen, maybe. Vikings fans are literally talking about tanking for Trevor. And I'm like, baby, join the club. Like, you got so much competition there. The fact that they were so high in my... I, I do not feel bad for Vikings fans in the freaking slightest. There's not even a single bit of pity there. <laughs> because they were so high and mighty. Oh, the North is going to be ours. We're going to be amazing. Haha, ha, you drafted Jordan Love. Our draft picks haven't even seen the field. And we're still kicking your ass. Don't even no. need them. 
Oh, we don't even need him. Jordan Luck is sit for years if Aaron Rodgers is going to continue playing like this. I'm I'm so about it. I am so about it. And you know what? If the NFC North just collapses in on itself like a dying star, I'm all here for it. What if the Vikings traded for Sam Darnold? I feel like he'd get murdered behind that offensive line still. Like I, Zim, Zimmer's a, a head and shoulders above Adam Gase. Head and shoulders above. I think that he would do better because right off the bat, you have two great targets to throw to and you have an established running game. I think that would be a great move for them. I just don't know when they do it and with what cap space like they pay him. Yeah, that's the problem, right? They, they yeah, have that, Kirk Cousins still. They got to get rid of him somehow. No one wants yeah, him. They, and they got him for a few years, I believe. I, I yeah. don't have the con- I think it's at least another couple years that they have Kirk Cousins on the books. And he's gonna he's about to get paid like ridiculous amounts of money. And I think it's like, okay, if you're a Vikings fan and you know, you get in the top fifteen in the draft, which is a possibility, right? Yeah. You get in the top fifteen. It's still early, you know, they could turn around. Yeah. But you know, you get in the top 15. Like, what do you do with that? Do you go for a quarterback to sit behind Kirk Cousins? I don't think that's a terrible idea. You know, you do that, you have him sit behind there for a couple years, and then when Kirk is gone, here you go. Or do you try, like, replacing some of those broken pieces? Again, I feel like this would be a better team with Daniil Hunter and, you know, with experience with those corners. But, I mean, again, like, that's that's not going to be an easy fix. You know, you hope you get Hunter back, you know, sometime either this season or you get him back, you know, next season. But you're basically kind of, like, throwing the towel in already for this season and... You know, that was coming where four weeks ago we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. The disappointing thing, I don't know how, I don't know what move the Vikings can make at this point. Like, they're handcuffed with their salary cap. Yes. I don't know what they can add to their team to solve their problems, unfortunately. Unless Justin Je- Jefferson Jesus? becomes amazing. Uh, maybe? Right? maybe Justin <laughs> Jefferson the best receiver in the league. That That's the only hope, right? I mean, I, even that. I mean, but that's the thing, like, even if that, because here's the problem, Justin Jefferson, like I said, shows those flashes, Adam Thielen is really, really good, the problem is, is that they don't have a defense that they can trust, right, and that team is just not built to get into shootouts, they're not, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they can put up points, don't get me wrong, but, like, if you are going to, like, look at the Packers, right, like the Packers were an example where they were able week one. I know it's week one, but they were able to score really, really quickly at the very end of the game over and over and over again. Right. And at the same time, then that defense could not stop a cold Aaron Rodgers, literally long sustained drives mm. and they could not stop them. You start putting them against like elite teams. They are not going to do well if they, you know, that other team can score a lot of points. Well, also the Vikings have this deep desire to run the football consistently. And I understand yes. why that's their philosophy. But I think at times, like, I, I look at Kevin Stefanski, he left to the Browns, and he went, oh, yeah, I can work with all these weapons, and they're running the ball incredibly well, but they don't have the same weapons they do in Minnesota. Minnesota's not as, not as talented with the, the personnel they have to run the football, and they keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, and I wonder if at some point they're going to air it out and go, like, four or five wide with Kirk Cousins and say, this is what we need to do. I, I want to see some kind of systemic change because yeah. they keep trying the same thing over and over again, and it's just not working. Yeah, and again, Zimmer's a good coach. He's a defensive-minded coach, obviously, yep. you know, and they pound the football. I remember, what was it, last year, opening day, I want to say they played the Falcons, and, like, I think Kirk Cousins threw the ball, like, five or eight times, and that was it. Like, they literally yep. just ran with Dalvin Cook all day. Yep. And, like, it, in a perfect world, that's what they would do every single that's week. That's what they want to be. Um, yeah, I mean, they tried that against the 49ers in the divisional round last year, and then they're like, oh, nope, Kirk, it has to be you. It wasn't him. <laughs> like, so, you know, it, it's... It's a challenging spot that they're in right now. Um, 
and like you said, I don't know what an easy fix is for them. Did you watch the Bears Colts game? I streamed it and I regretted everything. <laughs> really? So uh, it's interesting to me. Bears fans are panicking. It's the worst thing ever. I actually watched Nick Foles and went, you know what? I thought he was going to be worse. I think that timing was really bad. Mm. I think he needs more reps, but I I wouldn't panic yet if I'm a Bears fan. What's your opinion and thought on the Bears and their quarterback situation specifically? I mean, you and I talked about this, right? Like week one. And, and by the way, I mean, you know, put Trubisky in for a while. Oh, he doesn't do well. We gave him a shot. Now we're going to put yeah. Foles in. I'm just saying. I'm yeah. just saying. Prophecy. But <laughs> um, when it comes to the Bears, they're another team that like I like I'm after I watch that game, I am not convinced if it's either that Colts defense is really, really good because they haven't really played good teams. Yeah. Or is it the Bears offense is just that bad? I have a you know, theory. Like, I have a theory of what went on, if I may. Yeah, please. So I think first of all, Nick Foles came in. I, I still don't think he's gotten enough reps. There's the timing's a problem. There are guys open and he's either the ball is too far outside or he throws it in when the guy goes out. Like there's little moments where like they're just they're not quite in sync yet. He needs more reps in that offense. Number two, the Colts defense is really good, and I think part of the plan for Matt Nagy was he hoped he comes from the Kansas City Chiefs. He was their offensive coordinator for a while there. Andy Reid's the best team in the league with Kansas City at running screen plays, and I really believe that going into that game, Matt Nagy said, "Okay, we're gonna have a quarterback who's not quite in sync. We got to run the ball well." And we need to have screen plays be our crutch to help our quarterback who's still figuring things out. And the Colts, first of all, their defense is really good at flying to the ball. You can't run end arounds. You can't run screens. They're really disciplined. It doesn't work. And so his hope was we can lean on screen passes, and they couldn't. Therefore, they had problem after problem after Mm. problem. But Nick Foles didn't throw any really egregious, horrible plays. It wasn't – like, if you watch the Falcons game, there were some bad throws that should have been intercepted. There weren't very many of those against the Colts. I think – Nick Foles is going to be okay. He just needs more reps. And yeah, the Colts defense is really, really good. And by the way, the screen idea was a total flop and a total bust. And you can blame that on Nagy, in my opinion. But if you look at what happened, I go, it's all explainable if you look at it from my perspective. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I and I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, expecting him to be amazing on your first start. And if you are going against a good defense. No, it, it does make a lot of sense. I think it's, you know... If and, the and by Bears, the way, to be clear, Nick Foles yeah. is not going to set the world on fire. At the, I don't no, think at any point no, no, this no, year, no, no. but he's definitely better than Trubisky. Yeah, I think it's a matter of like, it goes back to that question similar to what we we're talking about with the Vikings. Can he win you football games? Like, I, I think mm. that's what it comes down to. I don't think Nick Foles alone is going to win you a football game. I think he might not lose you the game, but I think like, again, they have to be, de- you know, I, they utilize David Montgomery, but they couldn't really get the rushing game going against that Colts defense. I know a couple weeks ago, you know, fans were just like, oh, Tom, you said that they weren't running the ball. I got it. Dave Montgomery did pretty well. But I, I think it's, you know, you have Allen Robinson, who is a very underrated wide receiver. He's a he's a good wide receiver. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to carry Nick Foles to victory. I Nick Foles or um, Kirk Cousins? Who would you choose? I pick Nick Kirk Foles Cousins. or Kirk? Yeah, Kirk. You take Kirk? Yeah, I take Kirk. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think... I think Kirk wouldn't be terrible in Chicago. I don't think that he'd be too bad. Um, Foles again, you know, he's a journeyman. He's been just about everywhere. But yeah, I, I like I I I am not on the Nick Foles train. I get it. Listen, the guy won a Super Bowl, had a great, amazing postseason. I get it. The things that concern me are things we've already talked about. He's never played a full season in the NFL. 
Like he he, he is injury prone. Yeah. And Gardner Minshew beat him out. And that was after the Jaguars gave him a crap ton of money. Yep. I, I personally wouldn't have a ton of confidence in it. That it's like, okay, well, now this is where it's going. Because if Nick Foles doesn't work out, you throw your hands up and go, uh, what's next, guys? Like, that becomes a serious problem. There is a lot riding on Nick Foles' success in Chicago right now. Can I make fun of myself? Please. I have never had more trouble saying anybody's name in my entire life than Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Like for whatever Kurt, reason, right? The, like, yeah, I guess, but like it's I can't figure out if it's the K and then the C. I don't know why I can't do them back to back. But Kirk Cousins for me is the hardest name in the world. I, <laughs> I don't know. Why, I've never been able to say it well. Are you, do you have any trouble with that? I sometimes say Kurt. I do. Yeah. I do wind up slipping with Kurt. Zach, I actually have a question for you. Speaking about the Colts and the Bears. Sure. Yeah. So as someone who likes to break down quarterback tape. Yep. Can you please explain to me for the love of God, because I watched that entire game. <laughs> Who the hell taught Philip Rivers to throw the football? Because oh, that throwing man. motion is like the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's like halfway between side-armed and like a decent throwing motion. It and it's not like Patrick Mahomes side-arming it. It's no, just like no. it's ugly. It it's is like a, it's ugly. like he's pushing a medicine ball forward. Yes, it's bad. Here's the I, thing about Philip Rivers. And, and if I may though, I, I did a whole film analysis about Philip Rivers. It's really interesting because the the second half of his release is terrible. You're like, what the heck is? It's yeah. like a medicine ball push, but from the ground up, the the first half is really good. He actually uses his base really well. He uses his hips and his core to drive the ball. The finish is horrible. It's like he's just like throwing a medicine ball forward again. But the beginning parts are so good with his core and his hips that he generates a lot of force, so it doesn't need as much in the back end. It's kind of weird. And I would never yeah. ever encourage anybody ever to throw the football like Philip Rivers. Like if you're a young quarterback. Yeah. Do not watch him. Do not copy him. Uh, yeah. He's an old dog. You're not going to teach an old dog new tricks. I think at some point, if he were had been my quarterback in San Diego years ago, I would have said, hey, bud, we're going to have to throw the ball a little bit differently. But he does what he does. It works pretty well for him. Um, and it's kind of like one of the – you ever seen a guy who's got a really ugly jump shot who just is like 37 yeah. and you're like, it's just not going to change? It's exactly what Philip Rivers is. It's just exactly what it is. And he's mastered it, so it works for him. But it's so ugly. It's so bad. I really hope he doesn't teach any of his 16 children to throw the football like that. <laughs> hey, do you, do you have time for one more thing? Of course. And if you want to cut this out, we can. I don't know. I'm curious, though. Um, I saw the news of COVID-19 testing today. and went, yeah. oh, crap. Stephon Gilmore has it. The Raiders have it. Uh, the Titans have more cases, I believe. And I, I wonder at this point, there's a couple options here. I go, either you can have... Week 17 will end, and then we'll have two more weeks where we can say, let's play any makeup games we need that were canceled or pushed back. Then we can start mm-hmm. the playoffs. Or we can say, guys, we got to go to a hotel right now. Everybody's quarantined in a hotel. And people fight against that, but I say, as players, do you want to get paid? Or do you want to have mm. to cancel games and have games suspended? Because if you want to game check consistently, you're going to have to quarantine or make a change. Because right now, it's... I, what are all your thoughts on this? Because I get nervous. Anytime I see COVID testing yeah. composite, I go, ooh, that's not good for anybody. And I saw on Twitter too, like Stephon Gilmore, like after the game was like right in the face of like Patrick Mahomes. And like, yep. you know, it's here's it. Here's how I feel about it. I when we were talking, like you look at the NBA, right, or the NHL, like they did it really well. Right. Bubbling yep. it up. Have a nice day. I think the problem with trying a bubble with the NFL is one, it's incredibly expensive. And the reason I say that is because the owners and the NFL do not want to pay money. They don't like they don't no. want to pay like an exorbitant amount of money. That's one. Yeah. Two, the um, the size of the teams are so big 
they're so expansive that it's almost impossible for them to do. Would it be like, you know, possible? Yeah, it'd be a lot of work and stuff like that. But I think it's going to be so difficult because there's so many players on a team. So I think that could potentially be a problem. But then the other thing is, if you're talking about extending the season, that's where I think it's going to wind up going. The problem becomes is like, you're the Titans. You missed last week. You're probably in jeopardy for missing this next week because they held a practice when they shouldn't have. And then what happens if you miss three weeks? So like if there's two weeks allotted at the end of the season, right, in which all the other teams have bye weeks, like what does that look like if you have a team that's missed three games and there's only two weeks? Because there's going to be some teams that are going to get hit harder than others. So I think it's going to be so incredibly difficult to try and plan out, you know, any kind of makeup games. And I'm wondering where it's going to go. And you know what? I really wouldn't be terribly shocked um, if they're found in like violation of protocol. If they're just like, listen, if you violate a protocol, you forfeit the next game. Like, I would Mm. not doubt if it goes that way because like this has the potential to get ridiculous. And I think as you're starting to see more positive cases, you know, the the NFL scrambled to get the Patriots and Chiefs to play on Monday night. And I know Roger Goodell is getting a lot of crap for that, especially after Stephon Gilmore has tested positive. Mm. But you look at what had to happen with the Steelers and the Titans, and now they're moving games around. They're moving bye weeks around, you know, et cetera. That's yeah. that's only that's only for two teams that they have to do that for. And that already was a logistical nightmare. What happens when it's four or six or eight teams? Like I I am very concerned about what's going to happen to this season. And I wonder if it's going to be delayed. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, extended. Because again, there's gonna be a team that is going to be impacted more than others. And then so how do you quote unquote make up those games? You know, there's that's, just no wiggle room. Yeah. It's it's a not, mess. Cause it's so finite, you know, this is the, the love thing about the NFL is like, you know, there's so few games, every single game matters. It's not like basketball. It's not like hockey or baseball. We're like, ah, oh, you lose a couple games. It's fine. Right. Like this is like 16 weeks, regular season. That's it. And, and I love that about football because it's really like do or die. But at the same time, you know, if you're trying to reschedule things, it's near impossible. Yeah, it's. I I know it's just scary to me. I'm like I don't because I don't yeah. know what to do. Like if if the year gets put on hold or something, I, like how do we cover? I don't know. I, I, it's kind of weird because you're in a weird. I, I hate. I guess I hate the unknown. Where do I do a film yeah. analysis of the first three weeks? Is that even fair? Do we project what's coming up? I don't like as a as a storyteller. I go, what is the story? I don't even understand where it's so much. It's like in limbo. It's so weird to me. I don't know. Yeah, that's super no, selfish I, for me, but of course I'm like worried about myself. <laughs> no, I, I mean like, listen, I'm in, I'm in the same boat, right? Like it's it's one of those things that I thought about it, and like one of the major reasons why you know I went and got out that teaching job again was because I'm like, there's a good chance that this season gets canceled, and mm. you know, it, I, again, the NFL will do what they have to do, even if it's like the Super Bowls in March, like they'll they'll do what they have to do. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there's no guarantee that it's even going to get better within the next few months. Right. Like there's so many outside factors and variables that need to be accounted for vaccines, distribution of them. All the players take that like there has to be so much stuff. And, you know, I just don't know if that is happening within the next like five months. So, I guess. Yeah, good. 
No, as I say, so it's like it's so difficult to try and even predict this because we're living in a time that's completely and totally unpredictable. Well, it's funny. That's why some people didn't do NFL predictions because it's how do you predict what's going to happen this year? I mean, mm-hmm. the Patriots, if they had Cam Newton in that game, might have won. I mean, the, the Patriots yeah. had so many opportunities. I don't know if you watched it, but it was like... Yeah, that defense. They, and they, they had the ball twice in the red zone plus another interception. It's like, oh my gosh, they could have won. They really were there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, and it's crazy because, like, again, you start talking about, like, those those superstars getting out. And it's not because they're injured, right? It's, like, because they get sick. And yeah. it, it's it puts already them at, like, such an unfair advantage. And, you know, you look at Brown County, Wisconsin, you know, where Green Bay is. You know, they are literally the epicenter of the country right now. The Green Bay Packers announced that they're not having fans for the foreseeable future because, like, everybody and their mother, like, you know, is getting sick. So I, I think it's just, it's so crazy. Um, but I think it, it's also a reminder, like, not to get complacent. Because, like, at this point, you can't. Or, like, we're going to lose football. <laughs> like, put it super selfishly. Like, we'll lose football. I guess maybe if, if anything does happen, worst case, like, if worst case scenario happens, right? Season gets canceled. It's over yeah. or whatever. At least we can look back and say we, we got a couple weeks of entertainment that made it our lives. Li- like, 2020 has been an awful year. And sure. you got... Election season coming up, it's pretty miserable. I hate that kind of stuff. It's just terrible after terrible after terrible thing. It's been really nice to have football. If anything does happen in football, I guess I can say it's been nice while it lasted. I've been really grateful for this year. It's just been really a nice break from everything else going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I get the whole uh, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened, Dr. Susicle. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get you. Yeah. I mean, there, there definitely is that. I mean... I will say as a Packers fan, I'm going to be pissed considering how well we're playing. <laughs> they're just, yeah. Like, listen, there's not a, like if the jet, if they canceled the season tomorrow, Jets fans are like, Oh, thank God. Like we don't have to watch this anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't think you'll have an all out cancellation. I think you'll have a postponement if anything, but yeah. you know, the logistics of even trying to make that work are, are going to be very, very difficult. Like you said, I'm enjoying it while we have it. I hope it continues on. I hope that, you know, they lock down on the protocols and kind of like at that point, that's all we can hope for. You put out a theory I haven't heard from anybody. If you violate a protocol, that's an automatic, um, you, you forfeit the game. That'd be an interesting solution to say the schedule isn't yeah. compromised and we don't have to play the game. Yep. I mean, because again, I don't, because your thing, I don't want to blame the people who are getting sick, who got sick and it wasn't like in their control, right? Yeah. But if you're going out and like you're partying and you're whatever and you're not wearing a mask or stuff like that, then I would not be terribly surprised if the NFL turned around and was like, here, we have proof of you violating protocol. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, you know, yeah. you're, we're, we're not doing it. I guess one final thing, Tom, let's end on a positive note. Let's when you it. look around the NFC, you guys are dominating. The Packers are really, really good. Aaron Rodgers looks phenomenal. You're even winning without all your players. Like, the guy's missing. I think part of the, the comfort of having guys, I think there are guys that could have played on mon- on Monday that were like, we're not going to play because it it's the Falcons. We're comfortable. We feel good about our team. I wonder if that happened mm-hmm. at all. But my point is, are there any teams in the NFC you're nervous about? What teams oh, are yeah. you afraid of matching up against? Seahawks, one first right off the bat. Russell every time you guys playing, play, exactly. man. Oh, every oh, time the me. Packers play the Seahawks, it's incredible. The only thing that I think we have an edge on is our defense. You know, yeah. I, I think that that we definitely have an edge there. I'm not saying we're a million times better. But than are you confident defense, against but... Russell Wilson? No, I mean, well, that's the thing. If it's in Lambeau, we always make his life miserable there. Like mm-hmm. we 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 do scheme for Russell Wilson really well. Um, but yeah, the Seahawks are, I think, the 
the big standout. I don't think the 49ers, you know, because they do have depth, once they get healthy, they'll always be a threat, even if they're nerfed a little bit. Um, and then, you know, you, you look around at the rest of the league, the Cardinals, which I thought I was like, holy crap, Zach is right. They looked, you know, puzzled for the past couple of weeks. Um, and then, of course, you have the Buccaneers, who I think are going to be really, really strong down the line. Um, yeah. cause they they're going to get better defense. as the year goes on. They are, which scares me. So I would say like those like three teams are the ones that I'm like looking out for right now. Um, the NFC East is just a dumpster fire. Um, that's just, yeah, it's just, it's just real, real bad. It's hilariously bad, dude. Did you watch the Browns Cowboys game at all? Uh, I saw highlights of it. I did not watch the game and I embarrassing laughed. dude. So bad. And then, and then Dwayne Hassan's got benched. You're like, yep. Oh, Kyle, uh, what is it? Uh, what is his name? It's, oh my God. Is it Kyle? Kyle Allen. That's the one. I was about to say Murray, but I'm like, no. Hey, uh, yeah, he's, he was named the starter. But there's a part of that story you might have, you might have missed. Dwayne Haskins isn't number two. He's, he's three. number three. No, he's three. Yeah. Alex Smith Listen, is number two. I'm like, what? Uh, you know what? I have to say, and like this is no nothing against Dwayne Haskins or Kyle Allen. I really want to see Alex Smith take the, like, even if it's one play, I really want him to throw a football because like, my utmost respect for that man, like what he went through that grueling injury for him to be able to step like under center again and throw the football. I'm like, yeah, all about it. All about it. What if he becomes the franchise quarterback once again in Washington? What if Ron Rivera, the new coach says, ultimately Alex Smith is my guy pound the table. He that'd be how crazy would that be? I'd love it. I would absolutely love it. I would be so all for that. And again, I don't know if you want to give up on Dwayne Haskins just yet, but, you know, because he's also had a bad go of things, right? Like Have you watched him, on, dude? No, he's oh not my, good. Oh no, he's God. not good. Oh. You know, I, but like, you know, you look at it this and like a Sam, like you and I are on pretty much the same page when it comes to Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is being wasted as a yeah. New York Jet right now. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying that the same exact thing is happening because, you know, there's a better coaching staff uh, over in Washington. But at the same time, like there is a pretty significant lack of weapons. They have McLaurin, who has been playing really well. Sure. Um, but like, I think it's just a matter of I have always been about this. If you can sit your first round quarterbacks for a year, they will be better football players. Like, I know yeah. it's super old school. I know it's super traditional. But like, it has been a proven method. I'm not saying they're gonna be superstars, but they're gonna have a better time of things. And I think like Dwayne Haskins might be one of those guys who needs to sit down and not be thrown in the fire. And I think that's the move of moving to number three. I'm, I'm down, telling you, man, I, I've been and, watching a I've, I'm working on a film analysis of Dwayne Haskins. And I'm so sorry. It's it's not like people aren't open. He's got people open. He, yeah. First of all, he's making a lot of bad decisions, but he's also got guys open. He's just missing like horribly in the dirt up way over their heads, like to the right, to the, every direction other than where his receiver is. It's like, dude, I don't know. Your mechanics are falling apart. And yeah. he's also got an average arm. I mean, the velocity, the ability to drive the ball downfield. Not to mention, he also isn't very mobile, so he can't extend a play. I don't know what really he offers to the table other than he seems like a great human being, which is sad. Yeah. I like him as a person, but it's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, you know what, it, it, under Ron Rivera and like the tutelage of a guy like Alex Smith, I think that will give him the best opportunity to succeed. Uh, whether yeah. he will or not, you know, only time will tell. But I think... Sitting him is 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 a good move. Final thing, I guess, um, as we always do this, right? <laughs> yeah. 
the Dolphins announced that Tua Tungavaloa is not going to be starting. They're going to stick with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I saw that and went, thank goodness, because there's yes. no hurry. I would assume you agree. A million percent. And Fitzpatrick's not playing terribly either. I think no. right now, like, let, let's talk about it, Dolphins fans. Are you going to the playoffs this year? No. Like, you're, you're not. Like, it's, it's not going to happen unless some miracle. You shouldn't have even won all the games that you won last year. That's Ryan Fitzpatrick literally, like, come, like bringing the team together, willing you to some victories. So, no, like, this is not, a, this is not you're coming in and going, oh, man, like, this is our year. It's not it. You're rebuilding still, right? On top of that, you are blessed with two first-round picks. Both of them might be really low because you have the Texans' first and second-round picks. So I think you look at this and you go, nope, Tua, you sit your ass down, you learn behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that's what your job is this season. And that's it. You Maybe you throw him in at, like, you know, the very end or something just to get his feet wet or get him some reps, but... No, Ryan Fitzpatrick is my starter until, like, he gets injured or he is so cataclysmically bad, like, that you have no other choice. Because, again, I'm old school like that, but, like, have him sit because the knowledge that he'll get from that is is going to be much better than him getting hit by a defensive lineman and potentially getting injured. I keep seeing some weird stories from people in Miami, and I don't know if it's writers that are kind of baiting at the emotion of a Miami fan, but I have to wonder, like, what's the... What is the ex- expectation of Miami? What were they thinking this year was going to be? Because I keep seeing people write things like, the year is a bust. It's over. It's time to go to Tua. Like, yeah. year is ruined. It's a failure. It's like, well, what did you expect the year to be? Yeah. What, like, it's a yeah, year I mean, of growth. Listen, you're, 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 you're paying the highest corners like in the league right now, right? Like you, so you're building that defense back up. You got rid of Fitzpatrick, which, you know, that was that's a whole nother thing. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at the Dolphins right now, they're going to be rebuilding years. And this is, like you said, this is one of them. And so if you want to not have more of these rebuilding years, I think your best chance is to have Tua sit and learn. I think in the end, the Minka Fitzpatrick trade was a good move because they got a starter in the draft to replace him. They traded mm-hmm. him away for first-round pick, and Minka Fitzpatrick didn't want to be there. And I, it's hard. Yeah, Football's so much about how hard you work, your emotion, do you want to show up. And if you're emotionally checked out, Minka Fitzpatrick didn't want to be there. And while he's a great player and it's sad to lose, like you never want to see a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick leave your locker yeah. room. But if that player doesn't want to play for you and they're just done, I think the best thing you can do is trade him away for a first-round pick, which they did, which is like, well, I mean, hey, you got a starter to replace a starter. You're sad yeah. to see the guy leave, but he wasn't going to work with you anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's... <laughs> It's funny because if you if you take any solace, Dolphins fans, it's that you're not the worst team in Florida. Like that that like that's a thing. I mean, because like I I love Gardner Minshew to death, you know. But the Jacksonville Jaguars are literally like devoid of talent. Like they they're not a good football team. <laughs> well, you're both. And like, not only the not you're the you're the be- one of the better teams in Florida. You're not the worst team in Florida. You're also not the worst team in your division because the Jets are in your division. Oh my god. Yeah. So you know what? You're not the Jets. There you go. You're not the Jets. So hold those those sunburnt heads high because you're you're not them. And sitting in your back pocket is a rookie quarterback. I think it's going to be pretty good at some point. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be right now. Do you live around Jets fans? Oh, yes. What are they like? Uh, I'll put it this way. The last time, so I went to the Jets game a couple years ago, uh-huh. um, which was actually an okay experience. The first time I went to a Jets-Packers game, or at least the time right before that, that was like, I want to say it was like 2012 or something. It was the last time I played them, and it, the score was 9 nothing. Like that, we, the Packers won 9 to nothing. 
it was not a great game unless you really, really like defenses and Mason Crosby. Um, and we, my, I was with my younger brother at the time and I, I walk, we walk up to our seats and a Jets fan literally turns around and like, my brother was like young at that point And he mm. just goes, Hey, go fuck yourself. Like right at it. I was just like, okay, welcome to the Meadowlands. Like that, that, that's what we're doing now. So you know what? Jets fans at this point, though, like they have no legs to stand on because they've been bad for so long. They keep on touting that, you know, they had two back to back AFC championship appearances. And I just bring up the butt fumble and usually that's it. Um, you know, they, they really haven't been good for a long time. So um, but, you know, it's it's New York. So they're going to be loud and obnoxious and <laughs> them. For the record, if you know, in case you like you're missing something, Tom lives north of New York City. Tom, is MetLife? I think MetLife Stadium looks like a. It looks like a. What do you? What's the thing you put under? Like an armpit? What's the thing called? Like yeah. a de- it looks like it looks like a deodorant uh, container, like, like stick. holder. Yeah, it looks like, exactly. It looks like a stick of deodorant in that stadium from the outside. Am I wrong? Is it just ugly as hell? It's it's fine. Like again, if I'm comparing it to other stadiums, it's not the nicest one I've been in. Um, but. Yeah, I think it's it, the thing that pisses me off about it because I was at, you know, the Meadowlands and then I, I've been at MetLife. Yeah. And the worst thing about it, honestly, is not even if it's appearance or it's seats or anything like that. It's just it's such a pain in the ass to get to. Like it is yeah. legitimately yeah. out of the way. And I have you know, what? I want to say one random thing. I was reading. I think it was like maybe like the NFL rankings on NFL.com or something. I was looking at that and they said about the Giants uh that saying that like you know they're the best team in new york and i like i turned around and i'm like you know the bills are in new york right like they're the only new york team because you're out in jersey that pisses me off to no end and i think it pisses off a lot of bills fans too like they're the ones forgotten i'm like oh no they're buffalo i'm like that's actually in new york the metlife stadium is in new jersey like it you you cross a threshold it smells really bad you know that you're in new jersey and, you know, it's it, it drives me insane. But I could not be happier that both Jets and Giants fans alike are literally like the two worst teams in football. I'm all about it. <laughs> so when I came to visit you in New York, uh, I was staying in uptown Manhattan. So kind of by I don't I have no idea. Someone around my friend has an apartment in Manhattan, like a high rise. So it's pretty cool. And I was literally five miles away from the stadium. And yet it took me 45 minutes to get there. And I went, this is a problem. Yes. This is awful. Yes. And two trains, a transfer, like not fun at all. Yep. Yep. Tom, Welcome to it. That's terrible. <laughs> I hate New York. I, I, I couldn't do it, man. I don't think I could live in New York City. I don't. Not for me. I want to live in the woods somewhere. Quiet That's and it. alone. <laughs> That's it. I never talk to anyone. Just make my football videos. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll like a chicken and a cat and a Done. girlfriend and maybe a wife someday. And we'll just talk about football and do my thing. Um, <laughs> Tom, I love you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything you want to talk about left? Anything you want to add? No, let's just hope the rest of the season goes okay. <laughs> Please, God. I hope so. Tom, thank you so much. Have a great day. appreciate you. And uh, hey, talk Brosky. soon. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tom Grassi. He's one of my favorite people. Uh, I want to end today's episode with Ask Zach. It's my favorite part of the show. It's where I answer questions from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, I do not guarantee if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is that I 
guarantee to look at every single question with my eyeballs. I promise I do. I pick the top couple. I read them either at the end of every show or sometimes I do an entire episode of Ask Zach dedicated to just answering questions from the audience. Uh, it legitimately is my favorite thing to do on the show. So I want to start today with a question from Caleb. Caleb writes in, hey, Zach, the MLB playoffs are coming around, but this question is more about baseball than about the MLB. As a kid, what was your batting stance? How did it evolve? And which batting stances were your favorite? Thank you, and I hope you were getting some rest this week. Um, I had a coach who really loved Albert Pujols, and that's really kind of how everybody we, you know, we didn't hold our hands kind of back the way he did, like, over his face a little bit. But we all really, our lower bodies especially, were modeled after Albert Pujols, the way he pops his hips and uses his hips to drive the bat or drive the baseball. Um, I don't really have a, a story about my batting stance. I really didn't model after anybody. Um, I, I, I loved it, man. I used to hit baseballs constantly. I still, you know, I honestly should go to a batting cage. I, the feeling of hitting a baseball is kind of like nothing else. Now it's kind of ironic. I'm talking about hitting a baseball because I, I couldn't hit a baseball to save my life as a kid. Now there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, my, one of my earliest experiences playing baseball was like, I, I didn't play baseball. I think like T-ball and stuff. I played baseball later in life. Uh, and I remember we were playing Gresham, Oregon. There was this kid with this crazy fastball through like I, I I don't remember the numbers. It felt like 80 miles an hour. And when you're a kid, like 12 years old, that's incredibly fast. And he threw the ball with heat, but he also had a curveball. And I remember trying to learn how to hit a curveball. And my coach kept saying, when it's curving, you gotta sit on it and wait. It'll curve in. You gotta just wait on it and hit the ball. And so the, this kid throws a fastball, and it will at least I thought it was a curveball, <laughs> but he throws the ball. It's coming right at my face, and my coach has been telling me all week, on the curveball, just hang in there, wait. It'll curve in. You got to hit it. So I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm waiting for that ball to curve, and bam, it never curves. It hits me right in the face, and my face swelled up. It was purple for an entire week. Literally, the half of my face was I couldn't see out of my left eye. It was insanity. And ever since then, you know, that moment really shook me a lot as a, like a young 12 year old, I couldn't hit a baseball for a long time. I really struggled with hanging in there. Cause I just was so, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, look, I had gigantic dudes in football running at me. No fear. Like I really was never afraid of getting hit in football, but you throw a projectile at me in baseball. I just couldn't handle it. Uh, and I have no shame saying that it's kind of a crazy thought. Like I'm going to throw this projectile at you as hard as I possibly can. It's a little weird. Now, in the end, I did end up being able to hit again at some point. And the drill that really helped me hit a baseball when it became time was there was this drill we did. And it, it really, really, if you're ever, if you're playing baseball, I encourage you to do this drill. It's a massive help. You get a wiffle ball and you have a guy on a knee just flipping wiffle balls to you and you're fitting into a net. Here's the key to the drill. You get a dowel or like a, like a curtain rod, basically. I got a, dow- a, a wooden, like it's a long cylinder. It was made out of wood, really thin. It looks like curtain rod. I think it's called a dowel is the word. Uh, you cut that with wood about the length of a bat. You put grippy tape on the end. You hold it in your, you know, whatever your front hand is holding a baseball. My front hand was my left hand. I was right-handed. You put your hand under your armpit, head your chin on your front hand, and it just worked on pulling your front body through. And it kept your, it forced you to have your chin on your shoulder, chin down, and it had you pop your hips and pull your core through it helped me throw a, that that drill not only did it teach me how to connect my hips and my core help me throw a baseball help me throw 
uh, excuse me, help me throw a football really well. Part of why I threw football so well was because I, like, I was tiny, had no muscle, was like a little tiny kid, but I had, I did a great job using my hips and my core to generate force. And that's because of, you know, learning how to hit a baseball. I, I encourage you, man, hit and do it, like get, you know, three feet from a fence, have someone on a knee, popping you wiffle balls, put that arm under your armpit, grab the dowel, attach your, your jaw to your, you know, front shoulder, and then pull through. And hit that thing and then throw your what is this called? Your I guess your pinky. Throw your pinky or your the knob of your palm at the baseball. You pull the knob at the baseball and the rest follows through. And you pull you just I, I guess the best way to put it, you throw your hands at the baseball. And when you throw your hands at the baseball, you inevitably follow through and hit the ball really well. That drill, that stupid drill, Rick Reifenrath, my coach back in the day. Um, great dude. I loved him. He really helped me hit a baseball. He taught me a lot of life lessons too. Just a really great coach. Used to practice in the rain. I loved it. Uh, that drill single-handedly helped me learn how to hit a baseball after getting hit in the face and having a really, really hard time. Now, the next question of the day is from Jean-Luc. He says, hey, Zach, heard for your call for more fun questions. So here goes. The commissioners of all major North American leagues have convened you. To a meeting. Once you arrive, they tell you why they called you there. You have been given the ability to force one of the major leagues to play all of their games with players being at least a little bit drunk. Which league do you think would be the most fun to add an alcohol minimum to and why? Thanks for looking at this question with your eyeballs. My initial reaction is baseball for sure because baseball is more relaxed. Uh, I don't want drunk dudes running at each other in football. I think basketball would your hand-eye coordination that'd be a problem. Um, I think that hockey might be interesting because of the fighting. Here's the reality: you don't want anybody playing sports drunk in any level. Um, now, I can see other substances helping. Uh, I'm not going to say which ones I'm talking about, but I could see certain substances making it easier to focus on certain things or helping you get in the moment when you're playing football, maybe. But I don't know what, you know, you make a gesture with your hand. I, I don't have no idea. Um, I think baseball, maybe. Here's the problem with having, dr- you know, drunk guys play baseball is you're, again, throwing projectiles at each other. You're hurling a tiny weapon at other people, basically. And then you're holding a weapon, a baseball bat. So I don't know that anybody playing sports drunk is a good idea. Uh, I, I know I'm the kind of drunk that I, it, when I'm drunk, I don't feel like I'm in control. And that is not fun. I don't, re- I don't think you want anybody playing sports being incredibly physical with other human beings when they're not in control. And so that's why I don't drink very much, by the way. I don't really like the taste very much. My dad makes fun of me. Ironically, I'm like a fa- – my dad jokes. It's not really true. I'm like a failure as a son because my dad's a beer writer. My dad is a, a beer podcast. He's a heavily uh, – in the Portland area where I grew up, he's a really well-known food personality. And he loves beer, loves alcohol, loves drinking, goes to wine tasting events, breweries and wine, you know, wine wineries. Is that the word? They invite my dad all over the country, all over the globe. He's been to like literally went to Greece to go wine tasting because they invited him there to write about it. Like literally my dad's that kind of guy um, or he's well known for his food writing and his ability to drink and taste beer. And I don't have any interest in it. It's kind of funny, um, but we're just different and that's OK. Um <laughs> I love my dad. I, 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 my dad's been on the show before. I hope you – there's a podcast I do called Flawed Humans with my girlfriend and with my dad, um, and uh, it's really, really fun. If you want to hear that, go listen to it. It's really, really great. 
Tom writes in. He says, hey, Zach, I'm glad Josh Allen is working out. I remember everyone telling me he was going to be a bust. Anyway, we live in a world where one misstep, whether it be online or off, could cause tremendous backlash at someone's career. I believe this is true for sports as well. What do you believe has been your biggest mistake so far on the internet? Are there any mistakes you think that your peers, people on ESPN or Fox Sports, have made you uh, have made you believe that? You sh- uh, are there any mistakes that you think your peers have made that you believe should be apologized for or addressed? P.S. I've heard of Quibi. I hope you do a fan questions for those who watch Flawed Humans, the Flawed Humans podcast at some point as well. You and Elizabeth are funny. That's my girlfriend. Uh, first of all, dude, thanks for watching and listening to Flawed Humans. That's really cool. Now, I'm not going to talk about other people's mistakes. And I, I think that um, I think the biggest mistake made in sports content right now, honestly, is um, saying stuff without thought. I'm guilty of it, too. Um, but we all, I think everyone says stuff a little too quickly sometimes without taking their time and without thinking about the implications and the consequences. I think that's not just sports. That's literally every single form of media in the world. Um, especially with opinion shows, it's quick, it's reactionary. It's a problem often. Now, my biggest mistake as a sports broadcaster, I want to start actually with things I've gotten right because I feel like I never ever get credit for things I've gotten right I mean I remember Will Greer I said not gonna be great NFL quarterback oh my gosh anger ton of people were super mad at me uh Anthony Gordon at Washington State I said eh, fool's gold and people like oh Zach you're wrong watch the film blah, 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 blah. I'm like I did watch film I watched him live I watched him there I've met him been around him a lot uh, I didn't believe him. Didn't believe in him as an NFL quarterback, and he went undrafted. Luke Falk, another quarterback at Washington State. I've been really close to these Washington State quarterbacks: Gardner Minshew, Luke Falk, Anthony Gordon. The one I believed in was Gardner Minshew. The other two, I went, ah, hold your horses, relax. Not that great, and I was right. Um, now, my biggest mistake as a broadcaster. I don't know. Uh, I did a Bears segment last week. I think it's pretty bad. Like a conspiracy theory, I didn't. I didn't feel. I, I look back on that and go, I, I probably shouldn't have talked about that. Um, I hope I didn't lose people. Actually, I, I don't know. Um, DK Metcalf, kind of the one that got away is DK Metcalf. Actually, DK Metcalf. I did a topic about DK Metcalf in the around the time of the NFL draft, where I said, look, everybody I know that's played receiver in college says he's got problems with X, Y, and Z. And DK Metcalf, if you watched him in college, ran three routes. A go route, a slant route, and a hitch route. And I said, man, DK Metcalf is good at those three things, but he's only got three tools in the toolbox. And you can't be in the NFL if you can't do more than three things. And Seattle drafted him and very quickly showed that you can do only three things in the NFL. They had him run go routes, they had him run slants, and they had him run hitches most of the time. Now, as the year went on and as time has gone on, he's evolved his route tree, uh, DK Metcalf, has worked incredibly hard. He's a way better player. Uh, I don't know that I was wrong about DK Metcalf, actually. It's kind of funny. Like, I, I said that he's – I think I was over the top maybe about the way I talked about his problems. But I said, look, I said he had problems. I thought he did. He did. Now, he went to a perfect fit Seattle that instead of trying to, you know, fit a round peg into a square hole, they said, we're going to let DK Metcalf be DK Metcalf and do what he does best, and that was, you know, run those three routes and do well. And then over time, they've added to his game, and he's gotten better and worked really hard. And so it's kind of frustrating when people look at my 
original DK Metcalf video. It's the only time I, I'm sure there's a significant portion of people that have only ever watched me talk about things one time. They saw my opinion about DK Metcalf, said he's an idiot, he's wrong, and walked away. And it's disappointing because I, I think honestly that the minute we saw signs of DK Metcalf getting better and me being wrong, I talked about it. I said, here's what happened. I got new information. Here's what's going on. And it's frustrating when people don't listen to the whole story. Like people see like one thing I say all year rather than everything I've said about a topic. There's a whole ongoing narrative. And maybe I need to do a better job restating and repeating things I've said. I don't know. Um, but I feel like I unjustly get hate for things I'm wrong about when it's like, um, I already talked about the evolution of this story and it's, you know, this is a two year old story. Like I've done like so many follow-ups about DK Metcalf at this point that it's like, I don't know that it's, I mean, I, I was wrong initially. And the minute I was proven wrong, I talked about it and got new information. And I explained why I did a whole film analysis of DK Metcalf. I'm like, I don't, I, I, I still get messages from people on Twitter <laughs> And Instagram and Facebook from saying, like, you know, all caps, angry, you're an idiot, you're wrong about DK Metcalf. It's like, well, how about you watch any other video I've ever made about DK Metcalf? Like, after one video, I was like, yeah, pretty clear. Like, looks like it's working out in Seattle. So, um, I don't know. I just hate the personal attacks. It's like, it's part of the job. Um, I have to remember that I, I, I do this job because I like talking about sports, like talking about sports. That's, I enjoy it. It's fun. I, uh, have a lot to say. I share my insight. If you don't like it, don't watch, don't listen. Uh, I guess people that do hate me that watch and listen, they do still help me. So I, I shouldn't complain about that either. I don't know. I, I think maybe my biggest fear is losing the audience someday. My biggest fear is that someday everyone's going to turn on me and hate me. That's what I don't want. I, I love my job. I love my life. Um, I don't have a college degree. Um, now, that's that's my problem, not your problem. But I, I know that um, I want to do this for the rest of my life, and I don't ever want to lose it. And I am always kind of a little bit afraid of that, honestly. And maybe that's unhealthy. I probably have a deep – probably need counseling about that. But I uh, I love what I do. I love my job. I want to make content forever. Um I have a movie podcast I really want to start as soon as the NFL season is over, and uh, we can do it. And if COVID happens and the NFL season ends early, then my only saving grace is at least I get to start doing my movie podcast a little bit earlier. Like, okay, like, screw it. We'll dive in and talk about Sahara and um, Interstellar and you know Batman Begins and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, the Visit, I watched that movie yesterday, uh, yesterday two days ago. What an interesting M. Night Shyamalan movie. I got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. So I, I hope I can talk about stuff forever, honestly. Um, and uh, then I, don't know, I think that's when I get criticism for being wrong or a lot of hate, it's hard not to let it get to me uh, because I I don't say things flippantly. I, I work really hard. I put a lot of care into this. This is my baby. This is my everything. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to do a better job just letting other voices that don't like me disappear into the background because they don't matter like i i think what matters is am i proud of what i'm doing do i like what i'm doing do i think what i'm making is quality and as long as i can say yes to those questions um we're doing okay so sharing my heart i don't know i want to end the show with the final question of the day from connor he says hey zach i've been watching some film of college quarterbacks lately and i was wondering if you plan on doing a film analysis of tanner morgan or sharing your thoughts on him you're one of my favorite people in the world. Keep up the great work, bro. Connor, thank you so much. It means a lot. Um, 
Tanner Morgan is a quarterback at Minnesota. I like Tanner Morgan. Like, it's one of those guys, like, I like him. I don't hate him. He's got an okay arm. Uh, he does some good stuff. He's very accurate. Tanner Morgan maybe is like a Kyle Allen guy where Kyle Allen was just named the quarterback of Washington where he can do some good stuff, right? He's not, I don't think, a franchise quarterback, nothing like that. But I'd, I'd be curious to watch more from Tanner Morgan to see if he gets better, to see if his timing. His timing's great. His accuracy's great. I don't love his arm strength. Uh, now, if he can get good enough at everything else to outweigh his problems with arm strength, then he's an NFL quarterback. But I don't. his arm strength is very, very limiting. Um, now, I know that people get mad at that. I don't, I don't know. I, I just really, I guess, my big grand statement about Tanner Morgan is I want to see more. I, I just want to see more from him. And once I see more film, then I'll have more information and can make a more accurate assessment. Uh, now, I – how do I say this? College film analysis videos are really hard because I can't get advertisers on them. I don't make any money on them. Uh, and so I'm working on getting third-party advertisers. Like, when I, I want to be able to say, this video is sponsored by blank, you know, Hawaiian shirt company or uh, drink company, you know, let's say uh, pineapple juice company, whatever, right? Um, maybe a mug company or a toothbrush company or something. Uh, and if I can get those sponsorships to make these college football film analysis videos possible, which are going to get hundreds of thousands of views i have confidence in that uh then we're going to get college football film analysis videos with footage of film last year i did college football film analysis videos and they didn't have any film on them because i couldn't make it happen i had to do them without film because the ncaa steals my money whenever i do them and it's really frustrating it's a pain in the butt uh and so i i don't know film analysis videos are a frustration so uh, I love them. They're hard. They're really hard. They take a ton of time, and they make no money. So, uh, But I do them because I like them, and I'm interested in them. So um, most of, if you're watching film on a video, I'm probably not making money on it. So uh, it's it's a big, weird thing I do. But I, I, I still include film as often as I can because I, I make enough money. I'm okay, and I, I want to make good content. And I really um, – I don't know, I'm kind of a stupid artist. Like I, I, I try to make a really high quality product, even if it's. Even, I, I try to sacrifice everything as long as it benefits the quality. If that makes sense. And so, um, maybe do a fault. I don't know, but I, I'm happy. I, I, I have enough money. I have a place to live. I've got food on the table. I'm happy. So I appreciate you guys. My name is Zach Shomler. I'm gonna take a short break. I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna end the show. That's all I have actually. Um. It's Thursday, October 8th. It's 11, 18 p.m. Or a.m., excuse me, in the morning. I wanted to get this out a long time ago, and I, I apologize for how late this episode is and how long it's taken. And uh, tonight I'm watching Tom Brady. Tonight I am watching the Lakers probably win the NBA Finals. We're going to talk tomorrow about Trey Lance, the quarterback at North Dakota State. I cut that out of this episode because it's long enough as it is. Didn't need more content. And um, we'll also talk about... College football, it's going to be a huge weekend in college football. We'll do a preview of the NFL's week five. A lot of good stuff ahead, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right. No. Oh, my gosh. I keep saying that. It's my it's my like go-to. My name is Zach Schaumler. This show is over. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. Bum-bum. Bam. We are done.